you know where you are? Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 77. It is uh, Brando. Our guest today, talk, calling up in just, uh, I don't know, maybe three, four minutes, I think, uh, Marcel Circus. Uh, it's not spelled circus, but we'll talk to her about that if anyone ever teased her about it. But she's a writer, award-winning uh, digital media producer, but why does she? why is she relevant here in the Guns N' Roses community? Well, she went to high school with, with Slash. Uh, she was telling me a story. She actually sent me some some goodies, uh, an old school demo that she burned a CD for me. Uh, but back in the day when she had a job with Slash at like a video store, he used to make drawings for her. And one of them was with Aerosmith. You know, Slash drew Aerosmith, and she sent me a copy of that. Uh, she was in a band with Tracy Guns before L.A. Guns. Her first slow dance was with Hillel Slovak. Uh, rest in peace, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, that's just the cusp of her story. And the only reason I even know of her is because of, well, our, our co-host today, the return of The Bad Apple. And I have your soundtrack, Mr. Raz Q. Bad Apple, don't spoil a whole bunch, girl. Well, if this is your first time, you know, usually for my repeat guests or repeat co-hosts, it's usually... That's what you are if you're, you know, a friend of the show. But Raz, I think he likes the Osmonds more than GNR or whatever your reason is. But <laughs> welcome to the show, Raz Q. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. It's good to good to talk with you and everything. I know I missed you. You kind of left social media, and you were big on on social media. And I guess in 2018, there's only like a I don't know about you. There's like a select few people I I text or call. Um, so social media better or worse has become a huge communication thing and i even thought and it's funny i had another a listener of the show reach out to me and say the same thing so uh, i'll just give him a shout out jan from germany he's like is raz q mad at me and i kept thinking yeah. i'm like i did nothing to raz like we got along so well but it was like your facebook's gone your twitter's gone your instagram's gone uh well i'm glad that you're not gone that you're alive but you seem to be happy and working working hard and on your new books, like what's been going on with you? Yeah, you know the whole the whole social media thing was a. Uh, I just got, man, I never I, it just doesn't work for me, man. Like the brain wise, and I was just kind of on there because people said I should be. But I got a website, man. It's just <laughs> rasq.com, and right at the top you can email me, like you can say hi, or you know you don't have to put any likes on anything I do, and I don't have to put any likes on anything you do, and we're it's it's all good, man. I'm like. I'm so in touch. It's just weird. I'm, I'm basically at 2005 level of communication, like mm. internet communication. So I just kind of like dialed it back, man, and my brain is working so much better now. You know what? I, I'm, I'm kind of envious of you. There was a point in time in my life, I, I forget if I mentioned this before, that I did quit social media for six months, and that was actually the focus on radio. I told myself I got to be full-time on air by the time I'm 28, and my birthday was coming up, and I just quit social media, focused on my work, and... 28 and a half is when I, I went full-time in radio. But then I went back to social media because I kind of I, – I need to do it for my career. And we're going to talk about this later on. 
because much like the last episode we did with uh, Mark Dan Zeisen from uh, Gilby Clark's band, I didn't want to take away from uh, from him and his interview. And also we had a, a guest co-host, uh, Yanni from Finland, just a regular fan, big uh, Gilby fan, wanted to talk. Uh, to, to Mark, yeah, I'll save like the GNR or the shotgun news stuff to most likely after uh, Marcel because, I mean, this podcast is mainly supposed to focus on who we're talking to, you know, and get some really cool stories. But uh, it all ties in together, Raz, because I think you quit social media at the right time because the Guns N' Roses uh, online world has just been one giant clusterfuck black hole, just fucking mess lately, man. But uh, as we've talked about recently, I mean, just, just now and also off the air, there are some really bad stuff, but there's some really great stuff. So I've had some really cool people, uh, reach out to me since the last episode with, uh, Mark Dan Zeisen and talk about all this, the copyright stuff that I know you're kind of aware of that's been going on. So a lot of cool things have been happening. Uh, but I'm glad that I still have your phone number. Actually, it's funny. I, I contacted James Hunting first. I'm like, can you just see if Raz is okay? <laughs> and then he got back to me. He's like, no, Raz is okay. He's fine. I just wanted to make sure your well-being was intact. Oh, yeah. You know, it's weird. Like, I didn't do it so abruptly. I, I did it abruptly. Like, if I didn't, everybody would have been like, oh, don't they? would have tried to talk right, me out of it. Right, It was just one of those things I was taking a shit. And then right, <laughs> before I took my shower, I just went in and like, wait. That, no, I took my shower and then I went in. And uh, just closed everything, man. Like all in like one fell swoop before lunch. I love it. That's too funny. It's you're not like as some people they, they announce like, hey, I'm leaving social media, but they want the attention to say, oh no, stay, stay, stay. But yeah, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I know that wasn't my intent. And also, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. But so I left like Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram in June, like mid June, and. Um, I mean, now it's only like a month and a half later, and they're st- both of their stocks are down like 20%. Well, you left at the, at the, at the right time. I don't know. Maybe uh, books is the way to go again. Maybe that's going to be the main for, uh, medium. Uh, so you have a book, and, uh, well, I think she's on the phone now. Marcel. Oh, there you I go. am. Yeah, you have a book, too. Maybe uh, Soon to be two books. Soon to be two. How are you? I, I, I guess How is everybody? Just casually What's answering the, the phone. Fantastic. <laughs> I know he's always like screening on me. Like when when he, when I call, it's like he doesn't talk until I say something. I'm like, dude, it's Raz. Calling right on right on time. <laughs> well, it's because uh, I mean Raz called up. He's our special co-host for the day, and that's what I I kind of like to to do on this podcast and just be creative with it. And especially mm-hmm. if they can help me with the guest. I mean, I I had just recently said before, uh, the only reason I, I I wish I knew of Marcel Circus. That's how you correctly pronounce your your last name. Yes. Okay, because yes. it's S-I-R-K-U-S, which is K-U-S, right. a cool way of spelling it. Uh, but we were just talking about, I don't know if you heard the last part of the conversation, Raz quit social media, and that's how he initially set me up, I think, with you. And oh. it just, that's like how we all connected. So I don't know. How, how long do you and Raz go back? Like high school? Um, you know, I'm, and I'm, reading, I'm reading his book, and I think that we were at John Burroughs Junior High at the same time. Junior high? In ninth okay. grade. Right. I seriously think, that, yeah, because I was at JB um, for ninth grade, and, and I think so. Oh, wow. Did but, you, um, I, were you the cute girls that I was trying to impress at, uh, <laughs> at, when I was fighting that dude? <laughs> oh, that could be. That could be. <laughs> there was a lot of fights at John Burroughs. There was a lot of fights. Yeah. There I, were a lot of fights. I don't know if Raz used the uh, the pickup line, which 
uh, I use, and this is like a nice little. We all we're all connected. So Marcel, <laughs> I was initially intrigued by Raz not just because of the Guns N' Roses stuff, but uh, with his book, you, you see he has uh, handicap logos on the front as well. Now mm-hmm. uh, I'm not I'm not in a wheelchair, but I do have a physical disability. I have, I have neurological conditions, so I'm like. Guns of Roses and handicappedness. This is great. So, Raz, I don't know if you ever said, "Hey, if you ride with me, you get great parking," you know, or if you say, "I get first in line in a roller coaster," which I do. I mean, sometimes it works. I think I've heard that. I think I've heard that from Raz. Yeah. That's are you a... gonna Are you gonna put sound effects on those? <laughs> what sound effects do you want? You want me to play Barry White or something underneath? You're good. You're good. Oh, that'd be good. I probably could. And I have the uh, the Keith Sweat playlist. That's what I'm doing, Marcel. I'm uh. So I, I you're you're both over in. California right now. I'm in New York City and in, in Tribeca, the iHeart Studios, and I'm working a Keith Sweat show later on tonight in just a few hours. Ah, so I do this great. Guns N' Roses podcast usually before. <laughs> so I appreciate Good you. Good warm up. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you you taking the time to call up. And um, as you can see, it's a professional yet very loose kind of podcast that circles around Guns N' Roses when I initially interviewed Raz several episodes ago. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, he has the L.A. Guns tie. He has the GNR tie. You know, Axel was the first singer of L.A. Guns, but it was finding out about Raz. Now, like with you, you know, yeah, it's cool that you went to high school with Slash and uh, you're, you just knew all these people when they were younger, Tommy Lee. and uh, But the Jew thing, and I say the Jew thing because I am a Jew. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Your, your book, uh, A Shiksa's Guide to Shavos. Uh, don't blow out yeah. the candles. Helpful tips, t- helpful yeah. tips rather, for blending in with your Jewish significant other. Uh, I actually just right. gave this to my my shiksa girlfriend this morning. Perfect. Yeah, so I like yeah. it, and I'm I'm a bad Jew too, so I kind of needed a refresher course. <laughs> well, I'm what you would call a shiksa Jew, right? Yeah. So I'm Jewish. Both my parents were Jewish, um, but I didn't grow up with the religious. You know, background, I didn't grow up with the culture. We never went to temple. And when I got married, I married my husband in 04. He was raised very conservative. His parents were Holocaust survivors. And mm. so I learned a lot being in the So in the marriage, I felt kind of like a shiksa, you know. <laughs> and so I had a lot of fun. And it started out as a joke, as probably, you know, the next book and the next 20 books I write basically start as a joke. And then my friend and I were talking. We said something about, yeah, you know, just... Shabbos tonight, I hope the kids don't blow out the candles, because that's what the kids want to do. <laughs> you know, when there's children and grandchildren around the table now, and as, you know, my in-law's family has grown, every time my mother-in-law lights the candles, the kids try to blow them out, she goes crazy. Oh. So that's kind of where the joke came from, and and I just had a really good time with it, and, you know, some other projects as well. But I want to thank you first, of course, for inviting me here to talk about that and GNR, and I have uh, you know lots of stories that I'm happy to share, and some stuff I sent you, which will tie some of those stories together. So I think we'll have some fun today. I think I think so, because just like Raz, like again, it's just more than just the the GNR ties, just the personality, and that's what I like mm-hmm. doing in this podcast. All these other side characters, and I, I kind of related to you know my favorite show of all time is The Simpsons. It's like it's so much more than Homer. Mm. You know, it's right. it's more than even Millhouse. You got Doctor Colossus and all these other random characters that are so good. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Gil. I, I just want to drop Simpson references because I know sometimes my fans like it. it's all these other characters that just add to the the bigger picture. So, uh, where does it start for you? Because you said you were born in New York, just like I was born in Brooklyn. Then you moved to 
to L.A.? Like, yeah, how, so, know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's how it starts. Um, I was born in New York in Brooklyn and was enrolled at PS100 and lived like Brighton West Fifth. And we lived there till I was about eight years old. And my mom had a friend that she grew up with in high school. His name was Jerry Brandt, which the name may or may not ring for you. And he was a club owner. He had opened up the Electric Circus, which was a big disco in New York City at the time. And he wanted to come out to L.A. and open a new club. So he invited my mom with me to come live with him, get a house here in Benedict Canyon, right in the hills above Beverly Hills. And uh, manage a nightclub, a massive undertaking. And we did. We came out to do that. And I was about eight years old. And I'll share my story of my first uh, rock star meeting. Okay. Was one, one night, I guess, after the club, my mom and Jerry and whoever, you know, we had some roommates and people living there. And it was, it was a nice house. They came home. And my mom woke me up out of bed at eight years old at about, no, well, 3.30 in the morning to meet Sly Stone. Huh. She said, "Come here. There's somebody you have to meet." So that was my first, uh, my first rock star. Wow! I always remember that. To, yeah. To wake up your little girl at three thirty in the morning to meet Sly Stone, I just can't. I mean, I, not, not as bad as you got to respect. You got to respect that. I do respect you that because there are a lot of other things you could that. be doing at three thirty with Sly Stone and not introducing to your little girl. So I think that's oh, a, I'm sure that's like a oh, cool moment. Cool. I'm, I'm thinking it's like very cool. From it's like if I if my dad or someone like woke me up to say, hey, you know, someone's about to throw a perfect game. Someone's like something like that. Kind of just to have this moment with your your parent. This yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. do you vividly remember that? Because that's, that's still oh, pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Because I said to her that he had this most remarkable ring. I mean, to shake his hand, all you could see was this massive, ruby, incredible stone that he was wearing. And he offered to trade my mother a ring that she was wearing, a star sapphire. Uh, but it was from her dad, and she refused to make the oh, trade. Hmm. I think she still kicks herself over that. I was just day. about to say, I mean, yeah, <laughs> sentiment is important, but, you know, sometimes yeah. you've got to pay the bills, a sly stone uh, ring. Yeah, maybe. well, without even knowing his music, um, he was sor- certainly very um, charming and formidable and uh, tall. <laughs> hmm. And, uh, yes, I will not forget that moment. So that was my introduction, you know, to L.A., did you start listening to Sly after that? I mean, did you get his record like the next day? In a... It wasn't the next day, no. You know what? I was doing the Columbia music. You send a penny, you get 11 records. Oh, and my first set came with a Partridge Family album. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was doing that. I yeah, think I, I love you, but what am I so afraid of? Okay. Sorry. I still have it. I still have two of my Partridge Family records. Oh, man. You but, um, so that was... Sugar, sugar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, okay, I'm sorry, uh, go ahead. So that was just, yeah, so I was, you know, we lived here and I started school and then, you know, we moved shortly um, closer into West Hollywood, like Melrose area, which is close to a lot of clubs in Santa Monica Boulevard, walking distance to the Troubadour, which was definitely was helpful for me. And that's when I started going to the clubs. I guess I was about 15. And I had a friend at school, Beth, and she was dating a guy named Michael who played bass. And she said, come see my boyfriend's band. And that turned out to be Michael Balzeri, Flea. So at mm. 15, I was trotting up to the Rainbow, uh, at the Troubadour, rather, to see Flea. And, and they had a band called Anthem at the time. And I developed this mad crush on Hillel. And I had already been playing guitar. And I decided at that moment that I wanted to be in a band. And I thought, well, 
you know, four strings are probably easier than six. So I immediately got a bass, Mm -hmm. and it was kind of cracked. It was a gift from someone who knew the band Chicago. So I had, like, you know, Bobby Lamb's rig for a while. And then I just, you know, it kind of went from there. So the Troubadours seeing a lot of bands and, you know, drinking at the club and then hiking up to the Rainbow. Um, so at 15 now, I'm live. So after we moved from Benedict Canyon, we moved to West Hollywood, kind of in the flats off Melrose. And right around each, I don't know, maybe between 13, somewhere around there is when I met Slash. We were both in seventh grade at the same time at John Burroughs Junior High. And I used to let my dog out. My dog used to walk himself and discovered that Slash had a dog two blocks away and liked to go over there and hang out. So my mom met his mom and had to go over there and retrieve our dog and that kind of thing. And we became friends. And then I would say maybe again around like, you know, 14-ish, like we would just hang out. I would go to his house. If I had a friend over, we didn't have anything to do. We'd say, oh, let's go to my friend, Saul. He plays guitar. Go hang out. Maybe he wants to to go somewhere. He was Saul then. He was Saul, yeah. yeah. So we would go to his house, and he lived, like, on the first floor. And instead of going through the front complex of the apartment, I remember we used to just crawl in the window on the side alley. We'd just jump in the window. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm playing guitar. You could watch. Well, okay. Well, we'd sit there. And that was exciting for about, you know, 20 minutes. And I'm like, come on, dude, let's go do something. Let's go do something. No, I just want to play guitar. <laughs> Like, oh, dude, so boring. Okay. <laughs> so so, uh, so that was kind of what the friendship was. We hung out. You know, we were just in a neighborhood together. And so we knew each other. And I started playing bass. I was playing bass in a punk band. When I was about 17, I joined a band called KIA. And we played, um, one of our first gigs was in Santa Monica. At the Santa Monica Pier, it was to raise money to rebuild the here after a huge storm in like 80 or 81 mm-hmm. and uh we played a show with uh, sin 34 and a band called red cross they were punk you know punk bands it's hugely fun and at fairfax high school we had some you know local bands so i played with some friends from a band called bad example and it was like a punk scene and the punk scene at Fairfax and the metal scene kind of came together because all the punkers were already into Zeppelin and into a lot of, you know, rock. Sabbath. Sabbath, yeah, of course. And then I became this, like, ridiculous rush head. Once 2112 came out, that was it for me. Really? Like, I might have I might have gone to college if it weren't for 2112. <laughs> oh, I would have gone to college if it weren't for 2112. And then going back and tracing hemispheres. And that's basically how I learned how to play. That's like that's interesting because they it, isn't it like kind of like the running joke that you can't it's hard to find a woman at a rush show. Um, yeah, that probably is true. Yeah, I've been to a lot of shows and it's pretty lonely for the girls. <laughs> yeah, if you you're like the only no girls. Sex and rush. Yeah, you know, but I don't listen. I was the only girl jamming rush. Also, you know, I used to play yeah, with uh, Christian Nesmith on guitar. You know, there were a few friends I had yeah, that he like. Came to my studio. Yeah, I forgot he came down to my studio. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know Christian Push, back from when I was band? in high school. Oh, was his band was called Push, right? Or something like that? Off. Off? Off. O-F-F. Oh, yeah. oh okay. You got the one word right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it was one word. <laughs> <laughs> so did it come naturally to you? Uh, like, were your parents musical it, it, at all? I mean, obviously they're they're no. Mus- uh, they're, no? no. So where did that come from? Like, no. it just was natural. It's just crazy. Yeah, I could not stop. I mean, once I picked it up, you know, I just I would rip through an album. I mean, like twenty one twelve, start to finish. I'll never forget the day I learned, uh, and I went back to Hemispheres and Xanadu and all this other, you know, really progressive music. And what was so great was I had friends from Fairfax that were really great players, so we could get together and play this music. I mean, I learned like Wired and Blow by Blow from Jeff Beck, and I could call Christian and say, "Hey, you know, where's Chooch, your drummer? Let's get together and play these songs." And and we did, and it was fantastic. Was there any? No, I learned them all off the album. At that time, was there any sort of criticism for, uh, with a, a female being in a band? Like, what was your like? What was it like being um, a woman, uh, you know, a bass player at that time? Yeah, not easy. I mean, the thing is that you could play and you could jam, but the guys didn't really want to share the stage. They didn't want a girl in the band. I guess I thought it would soften the edge, or just didn't look as cool. It just kind of changes the whole image of a band, right? Like back then, like it was all just like cock rock or whatever, right? And you got a girl. Absolutely, thing. yeah. Did they t- yeah. did they take you seriously at all? Like, or that, were they just kind of focused on what you you wore and they didn't take you seriously well, as a musician? No, n- no, because you know I didn't I didn't dress that certain way. Okay, you know I wasn't you know it wasn't my style. And I just kind of had my own thing going on. But I had bands that would reach out to me to come play in the studio. So, like, they wanted to play with me, and they wanted me on the tracks, but not on the stage. Yeah, that's that's kind of where it was at. But oh, go ahead. But the, punk, but the punk thing was, like, not as restrictive, <laughs> which is funny because I didn't even think about it. When I joined my punk band, we were gigging, and it was, like, a non-issue. And then when I started playing and some more rock bands, and with male vocalists. So, But going back, like even when I was about 17, I started playing with like friends from school, mostly. And a few of them went on to, you know, do some shows. But at the time, like I was playing with Chris Weber. Sure. And I'm that's right. That. Yeah. So that's when that started. So like Chris's parents used to travel a lot. When they did, all the friends moved into the house. And it was a beautiful home up in the of Laurel Canyon in the mountains. And uh, we'd all just move in and start jamming. And I remember Chris taught me anything goes. And Chris didn't have issues. Like our plan was we would have a band and we would gig and record. So I was playing with Chris and Tracy. And uh, then I was in a band with Tracy for a while um, after that. But the Chris thing was great. And that's how I met Axel. So I met Axel at Chris Weber's house, um, early 80s, hmm. way early 80s. And I remember sitting on the bed with Axel in Chris's room showing me Back Off Bitch. And, uh, you know, after about three rounds of the song, like in my head I remember thinking, am I going to be in a band and play a song Back Off Bitch? I don't think so. <laughs> and I, and I literally turned my bass over to Izzy and uh, left the room. But the funny thing about Izzy, I knew Izzy long before. He used to be in a band called Shire, and he played bass. You know, I used to go see him play at the Troubadour. We, um, I spoke to Alan St. Elisa. Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? Yeah, f- uh, from the band Shire. I mean, that's what Shire. I, I, yeah. I love going back. So, so take us back to, like, what would you consider 
because obviously the the Izzy stuff and the Axel stuff that's that's the juice that's that's exciting. But I want to kind of go back into the family tree to when you finally moved there. Like, what was the band that you thought was going to be big? Was it a Shire? Was it working with, with Tracy? That like, hey, this could be my career. Or was it always fun for you? And you were just having fun. No, with your I friends? definitely, I was definitely career focused, hundred percent, one hundred percent. And with Tracy. You know, part of part of what happens and what, what always happened with all the bands, and even the band that I ended up getting a recording contract and got a record deal and made a CD and, and even Dizzy played on it, and that was back in, like, 95. Mm. Once you turn something you really love into a business, it transforms your connection to that. And that was, you know, and because of the time and the business and the way it ran, and I'll give you an example. I had a band. We were bringing in showcase. We were showcasing for executives at a record label. Out of nowhere, the guy from the record label would show up with like his 16-year-old nephew with a Stratocaster, plug it in, and the kid would start playing with us, having no knowledge of us, our band, our music, anything. Mm. And it always, it was always feeling like that. Whenever a band was coming together, there were other players that were coming in to try to step on, you know, what was already there. And I had a few bands that I thought had really great potential just as they were. Um, but the business um, was unkind, and the relationships of the band members suffered as a result. And so, you know, a lot of those situations kind of fell apart. As Just as you were getting into the business of it, they, they would start to fall apart. Sure. But, band, but bands that I thought would be great that I used to go see, um, Quiet Riot, when they were gigging as Dubro. Oh, wow. Yeah, at the Troubadour, Rat, 100% Rat. I always thought Rat and Steeler and Dubrow were, you know, were going to be the big three. So you saw it, like, at that time, like, wow, there's something different about these bands that they're going to become something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there were other bands like, you know, Lip Service, and there were some other things going on, White Sister. You know, I liked White Sister. You know, I don't, that won't mean anything to a lot of people, I'm sure. They're very nice people, and they were a good band, but they weren't they weren't rat. Like, I never thought that they would ascend to the kind of commercial success that some of the other groups did. I mean, I think we could, you know, most of us in our crew could spot them really quickly. What to you made it, like, when you were that age, what was the difference? Was it the songs? Was it the attitude? What was, what a part, what... Part of these bands that made you think Quiet Riot's going to be big, uh, Rat's going to be know, big, versus it was so yeah. I mean, for me, first it was songs and musicianship, and then um, the sort of cohesiveness of the band, you know, functioning as a unit. And as a musician, you could see that and you could sense it. So if you that... would sense that, you know, the guys had mm-hmm. it together or they didn't. So if that's what you were, you see what you you kind of want to play or at least the atmosphere you, you want around you in a band mm-hmm. so when you met uh chris weber like what was the first person like did you have like a partner in crime how they always said axel and izzy were the partners in crime did you have someone to kind of because it was so incestuous that era you know i mean raz could tell you you know how many you know different players that la guns have and all and that's what how guns and roses form so did you have a specific player that you kind of wanted to go through these phases um, with? I didn't, no. Okay. I didn't see it that way. I mean, I had players that, 
Like, like there was no one you connected with, like say, you know what, I kind of want you to write songs for me or. Well, like write... the best friend. Yeah. I mean, every band, their, their best friendships form. That is true. Um, for Chris Weber though, like Chris, Chris to me was like, he wrote his songs and he was kind of independent the way he did that. Okay. I had other ba- bands later on where I did write and the friendships were much more like a family. And, and, you know, those groups went a lot further. They did, and they had a lot more success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, being, you know, 16, 17, it was, it was very fluid. Anyway, people were moving around a lot. I mean, I would be playing with Chris, and then I was playing with Tracy. And Tracy had a band right out of high school called Pyrus. Mm-hmm. And then I was in that band sort of in between Pyrus and L.A. Guns with Tracy. How was that experience? And we used, um, Tracy was fantastic great guitar player and he brought together a lot of other really great players as well um and it was it was good but for me you know i think when i think about my playing and sort of the style that where i was leaning toward which was a little bit more melodic you know i can (laughs) i mean i'm just gonna be totally candid with you i can remember very clearly probably my last rehearsal (laughs) with tracy and and nothing against Tracy because, you know, it's a good friend. <laughs> but I remember him saying, okay, right here, you just play A and I'm going to solo. And I'm like, okay. And I feel like that went on for about 15 minutes. Hmm. And uh, then I was like, yeah, I just can't play A for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't, uh, you know, musically challenging or fulfilling for me is feeling like a contributing um, player to that. I got you. Because I later on, I really enjoyed writing and arranging music and coming up with melodic parts. And, you know, so I sought that out and found other bands that, you know, wanted to do that. Did you have to come up with a nickname? Because it seems like you're surrounded by the people who initially had a real name, you know, the, mm-hmm. who, who would, who, uh, Michael, who would become on, uh, go on to be Flea. Uh, uh, Saul, who would go on to be Slash. Uh, did you did you have any sort of alias? You know, I didn't even have to because my family name actually is Circus. So my family came here from Eastern Europe in 1898 okay. with the name Circus. Yeah. And uh, so by high school, everybody was just call- a lot of friends were calling me Circus anyway. Mm, all right. Because you got Tracy Guns, everyone. It just seems like from that era, everyone just I changed know. their name to something badass and it stuck. But you were gifted a naturally, you know, cool name. Mine's just Brandon Weisler, nice Jewish kid from Long Island. So that's why I go by Brando on the radio. It's just I, <laughs> I like Brando. That works. Thank you. I appreciate it. But uh, <laughs> it I, you. I, even before the podcast, and I told Raz this. I mean, Raz Q is also a a cool name. I just didn't want to be – I needed something snappy for the radio, but I'm just not – I always say I'm not Axel, I'm not Bono, I'm not Cher. I never introduce myself, hey, I'm Brando. I say I'm Brandon. Right. So it's just interesting to see how people come up with their names or you know, how, uh, when and if they kind of use it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where are we now? Are we – because you, you, were, you were talking about with, uh, with Pyrus and Tracy. So how did that yeah, end? Tracy. So what happened – okay, so well – Somewhere in the mix, and I had been friends with Izzy for a couple of years before that. Should we know that Someone first? Was... Should we know that first, uh, how you became friends with Izzy before? I'm just trying to do the um, timeline right. I probably just met him, yeah, probably just through the band Shire, hanging out at the Troubadour, going to see those guys play. 
Do you remember the first time meeting him? Did you think anything did it, did it affect you? The because I'm not like you knew he would become um, Izzy Stradlin. No, just a, no, no, no. I mean, I thought he was really cute. He was a lot <laughs> of fun to hang out with, and he had some great record albums. You know, sit around listening to New York Dolls or whatever he had going on. All right. And he had he had this little apartment right above a very uh, popular nightclub off of Sunset called the Coconut Teaser. Had this great little apartment right up the street, right up the road from it. And um, like I remember going there kind of after school and hanging out, you know. And like I said before, you know, he had this crimping iron, and I would go there and crimp my hair, and that was like a thing to do. And we'd listen to music, and sometimes he would come to my house and just hang out. That's right. You said you that know, to me. We were friends. Uh... You said that to me off the air that you guys shared custody of a crimping. We uh, shared custody iron. of a crimping iron. Yeah, we used to borrow it back and forth. I love it. So here's so here's the Izzy thing. So going back when Slash and I worked together, we had an after-school job together um, at this place called Business Card Clock, and it was kind of like a mail-order business. Customers would send in a picture, you know, they send in their business card, and then Slash would photograph it, you know, like. 24 by 36, mounted onto foam core, I would install a little clock movement, and then we would ship them. And this is our after-school job. And it was right around then that he was drawing a picture of Aerosmith, and I think I sent you a couple of, I sent you two, like, versions of it. Yeah. They're awesome. They're really cool. Yeah. In the middle of drawing it, so first he drew Steven Tyler, you know, and Joe Perry, and he took a photograph of it, and he mounted it, and he framed it for me. So I had that hanging up on my wall, thought it was really cool. And then he finished the drawing, and he gave me another printout. And he mounted it to this thick cardboard, and I hung that up. And Izzy came over one day and said, wow, who drew that? And I was like, oh, my friend Saul. He works over at uh, Hollywood Music. He's like, oh, I got to meet him. I'm like, hmm. okay, well, go to Hollywood Music on Fairfax. He works there. And uh, so that's what pulled Izzy the Slash was the drawing. That's something else. That's uh, yeah. I hadn't heard uh, that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was. You know, I, I was talking to Slash about it too, not even that long ago, and he's like, "Yeah, was that drawing? Because he saw that thing at your house." <laughs> I was like, "Because I remember that it happened that way." But sometimes, you know, after. 20 or 30 years, you start to wonder if it, <laughs> it really I did. You know? Did I make this up? Platinum record. Like, did I dream this? Yeah, but no, that is, you know, so that was really cool. Yeah, the, the drawing is really cool. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's, I guess if you go out into the street and someone does like kind of like a caricature of yourself, like one of those, but mm-hmm. where they kind of like really accentuate your features, it's not as accentuated as that, but it, I, in my opinion, it's kind of like in the same vein as that style. And I like it. So, I mean, I, I mean, obviously you had the original, so you got to keep that real safe. But I still kind of want to get mine framed and put it up because it's just yeah. a cool thing to have, especially with that that, that background. I mean, Izzy could easily say, yeah. oh, oh, cool drawing. But like, oh, I have to meet this person? Uh, that's, I don't know. Something really connected yeah. with him, clearly. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So they came, you know, they were both kind of these bluesy guitar rock players, you know. I could see how that connected. And then the Duff thing. I met Duff when he uh, was playing with a band from Seattle called the Michael McMahon Band. Saw him at Madame Wong's West. Mm, wow. And when I met him, I'm not sure yet if he even, you know, entered the picture. But I remember going to see them at Wong's. And they were fun. You know, he was kind of, he kind of had like this rockabilly punk style. Sure. Like bolo, bolo tie, 80s bolo ties and <laughs> ruffled shirts. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, they were a lot of fun. You know, sometimes I think about today's fashion, what people wear, and you know, tattoos in their face. I'm like, wow, people are morons. Like, why can't they be like they used to be? And then I just think about bolo ties and just, you know, yeah. the, the 80s. I'm like, is there ever an era where human beings didn't dress like just weirdos? Like, I, I, I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't think there is. <laughs> so, so uh, this was all before, because it seems really, that was a really interesting story you, you hit on briefly before when you were sitting on, you were sitting on Axel's bed, and he was uh, showing mm-hmm. you back off, bitch, and you're like, this isn't for yeah. me, and you showed Izzy. His brother's room. Yes. Yeah. So was that before or after he inquired about meeting Slash? I got to say that's probably – oh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if he knew him yet. Mm. He might have already. They might have already met. Was Axel showing you that he kind of wanted – perhaps to recruit you to play with him or he was showing you as a friend like how did that i don't know no i don't know no it was definitely like hey let's have a band and who plays and let's jam out these songs oh wow um and yeah and the conversations didn't get much further than that and i think that you know had i stayed had i stayed with that i never felt i never felt from axel any kind of feeling that because i was a girl that he would not have wanted to share that with me not ever I mean, he's always been um, really open about even my opinions about his, his own stuff. Even during Use Your Illusion, I spent, you know, a bit of time with them over at uh, the recording studio. And I was wow. in there a few nights when he was recording, of all things, Back Off Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Life, man. Some very wow. strange irony about that. Yeah, but it was like, it was just me, me and my friend. We were driving around and it was like a... Saturday night or Friday night, and there really wasn't anything going on. And I said, oh, I think my friend is recording down the street. Should we go pop in? And she had no idea. And uh, I just, you know, walked in a record plant. And I'm like, yeah, tell Axel Marcel's here. And five minutes later, we're listening to uh, vocal recordings of Back Off Bitch. Like, is this good or is that good? Did you like that one? And, you know, it was really fun. Wow. Because he knew I went really way back with the song to begin with, so. Yeah, no. So I, you know, I've asked this before. I forget if I if it was to Roberta Freeman or who, else, but they have some lyrics that could be questionable. Yeah, back off, bitch. You know, it, within it's so easy. But you're friends with mm-hmm. these people also. So how did you look at that? Like those kind of lyrics, especially in like today's climate, where. You know, the Me Too movement, and I know it was a different era back then. Like, how, how did you perceive it? Was it just like, hey, this is, these are my friends, these are just lyrics? Were you ever offended by it? I mean, like, how did you um, look at it? No, I don't think I don't think I was. I mean, I might, you know, the very first time hearing it, sitting, it with, sitting there with him, I don't know if I thought that it was even, um, you know, a marketable fun <laughs> anthem to go on stage and belt out, you know, hmm. but I didn't, I didn't judge it. Okay. I wouldn't have judged it. Yeah. And even no. now, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know. It's weird. That song for me, like I've never assigned the bitch with a gender in that song. It's always just yeah. back off bitch. It's not male or female. It's just back off bitch. With that particular song, I do agree, but I'm, I, it's with like the it's know, easy it's, turn around it's so bitch. Easy. You know, I got a use for you, and I asked something. I don't even think he wrote that. Didn't West write that? I think that was a West song, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know it's a West song. I just don't know what the percentage of lyrics. I don't have that. 
particular number. But I think when when back in the eighties and nineties when chicks heard that song, Turn Around Bitch, I got a use for you, they were saying me too. <laughs> so. Maybe so. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, cause I asked like a similar question along the same kind of thought processes uh, processes to um uh Ernie C about one in a million, you know, like you know Axel yeah. personally, but what do these lyrics right. mean to you? And then he just said that like, Axel's not the, that dude. He's just talking about like as in the character. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to get the same sense for you. Like, is it a, as a character, or did any part of that, like with one in a million, like we knew at some point it bothered Slash. They still recorded it. So just uh, mm-hmm. for someone going back as far with them as you do, I was just curious. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, on a personal level as friends, I never, I never experienced anything with Axel or Slash that made me think that they were not good people or they were someone that I wouldn't want to be friends with, you know. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I have a good relationship with my own values. I'll say that. So, you know, to uh-huh. me, it's always been good friendships and, and kind to each other. And, you know, Axel has never been anything but generous and thoughtful to me and around me and you know maybe i make him a little bit nervous i, I, don't, know. <laughs> I don't know it's your, it's your shicks appeal i don't know I, maybe it's the yeah. shicks appeal you know i mean sometimes yeah. uh you know he doesn't know what to say but we go a long way back and you know he doesn't have to say anything i've always i've always enjoyed the friendship and he's obviously very talented and he's very smart and i don't mean just smart like there's a level of intelligence that he has that in a lot of ways probably would make it hard to function as a normal person in society. Mm. You know, he has a lot more to express and to give, and he comes from a very authentic place. And sometimes that place is in a lot of pain, obviously. And so we see that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's brilliant the way he's able to share that. And I don't think that he's really sitting there thinking how it's going to be interpreted or who's going to feel something because of it. I think he's very true to his own authenticity, and and at the end, maybe that's why everybody's just so drawn to it. I could see that totally, like, absolutely. You know, I think you described mm-hmm. how a lot of people perceive him, but you know him personally. Do you, do you remember the first time you met him? Did you like just like with Rat and other bands that you you saw a future for them? Did you see a future for him when you first met him, or was he just like this awesome redheaded dude? Um. No, he was just this cool, um, nice Indiana guy named Bill. <laughs> right. Yeah. And who used to who used to hang out, you know, used to hang out at Chris Weber's house. And then the three of us or whoever was around, we used to go to Sunset to this place called Cafe L.A. and eat pizza and garlic balls endlessly. Mm. And then, you know, when we weren't sitting there talking about music, we were back up in Laurel Canyon on the phone for three hours trying to get those guys to deliver the pizza and garlic balls, which they would not do. <laughs> and it was very, it was very typical, um, you know, kind of teenage stuff. I remember, I remember him at the Rainbow. I remember those guys trying to get into the Rainbow. And they had a policy. Girls had to be 18. I was 16, but I was still getting in. And guys had to be 21. Mm. So that kept him out of the action for a while. So those guys used to hang out up at the clubs, you know, waiting for last call and for everyone to pile out. And then we would go to after hours clubs. And there were some great ones, but, you know, and that's before their band was really big. But, you know, I remember even before 
like the shows before GNR was really like I remember seeing Hollywood Rose, of course, too. Mm-hmm. But I remember some of the shows at Scream, like Scream Downtown. I don't know, Raz, if you would remember. They played downtown and they covered like they ripped apart black garbage bags and they they taped them all over the floor, I guess, to protect the carpeting. And, you know, so the promoters used to take out these huge places and run nightclubs. And I remember them playing one of those, and it was just phenomenal. Like, you could just see it really coming together, and it was great. And Stephen was great. The same thing. I met Stephen. Stephen was living in at um, Slash's garage when I met him. I was about 16. I remember because I was driving an Opal Manta, which was my first car. Hmm. And, uh, like, literally, I would be driving around, and the guys would be in the street. They would literally jump on the hood of my car. Hey, give me a ride somewhere. Hi. <laughs> okay, here we go. And uh, so I used to cruise around with, uh, with Stephen because he was living there, and that was around the block from my house. But they were just great. They had a vibe. And, again, you know, Slash was a great musician. Slash was a great guitar player. I mean, there's no question about that early on, really early on. And Izzy had a cool vibe, you know, and Axel had attitude, put a voice to it. So did you, is that, um, before it became Guns, when, because you were friends with Tracy and you made LA Guns, is that when you met Raz? Or was it? I met, I met Raz, had to be like in the early 90s. Oh, okay. Studio. Right, Raz? Uh, No, I think it was before that. I think when JoJo was rode in for GNR, as well. like yeah, I knew Marcel, but I never, we never talked, man. Like uh-huh. it was just like I would see her around, do she'd be at the shows, and her and her friend Debbie, they yeah. would be like arm in arm in school. I would never talk to them because I would just be like kind of on my way to class or intimidated, whatever, you know, going to smoke pot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking I'd be straight for them, but you know, I just couldn't do it. So, <laughs> uh-huh. are you talking about junior high school? Like no, I don't see like. I don't. I remember you in high school because you would go to like every concert, and you would like guys. Oh yeah. I I would was intimidated by the show she went to. Like oh, I can't talk to that chick. She went to like ACDC uh, for those about to rock. <laughs> like she's not gonna oh, want to talk to me. Oh, that's that's awesome. But I told Marcel oh, all that yeah. later. Like when we actually met and started like like interacting like on a couple of time a week basis where we run run uh, into each other in the course of business or whatever. Then, then I would tell her, yeah, I've known you for years. But, yeah, I think it was the studio days with the Wild, when the Wild was over there on Gardner and, and all that, like when GNR was just about to get signed when we actually just started talking for the first time. Yeah, because I used to go, see, I used to go to their practices. Even before they moved into Gardner Studios, there was a place called Program on Selma, and that's where my band was rehearsing. And I'd see yeah. GNR there, and sometimes we would just go watch them practice. And I remember, like, there's a great, there's a great moment that happens um, in a musician's life. This is very spiritual now. <laughs> when, you, when you get the instrument of your dreams and that moment that you unveil that instrument. And I remember with Slash one day at, the, at a rehearsal studio, the day he opened the guitar case to show us the gold top Les Paul. <laughs> that was a moment I will never forget. Wow. Little Howie Hubberman. I mean, he was a Gibson guy, you know, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was programmed. So that was like a small studio in Hollywood, but before Raz had his place. Okay. I gotcha. 
So then what was the first GNR show that you saw when they were officially Guns N' Roses? No more Hollywood Rose, no more LA Guns. Now they're officially Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. One of the early shows that I remember clearly was at the Roxy because Duff borrowed a fretless Fender Precision bass of mine. And so I was like at soundtrack. My eyes were glued to the bass. Mm. <laughs> you know, I just would not take my eyes off. Like I followed it around, you know, like in a duck hunt. But, um, <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Like I met literally like I'm at soundcheck and I'm not seeing or hearing anything. I'm just watching my bass. Wow. Um, so that, but that was a big show. So that was a big show at the Roxy, but I had seen them play again. You know, at some of the smaller clubs and, you know, maybe even at the Cat House and just sort of that circuit. Did you get a vibe from them that you did with some of the other bands? Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. It was hard to miss, wasn't it? Like, they were that good. <laughs> Obviously. Like they, were, they were that good. I mean, the songs were that good. This is the thing. You know, if you can go, you can see, you can go to a show and watch 15 bands at the Roxy or the whiskey any night of the week if you could get through it because it's always the thing that's missing and there might be musicianship but there's just there are no songs there's nothing that's going to grab you and even the way they're arranged and the way they're written and there's a professionalism and it has nothing to do with musical education whatsoever it's an innate sense of timing and just the expression overall and, and it, it reaches people you know or it doesn't and they just had it Great, great songs, great vibe, a lot of attitude and a lot of energy, and uh, not a lot of compromise. And it was a good time to have those things. I mean, they came out in era. You know, we were coming off of again Rat and bands like that. You know, a lot of makeup and forty-five bandanas tied around their leg and lipstick and all that shit. You know, <laughs> and GNR artists didn't do it. In fact, there's a story early on of. Um, Slash before GNR was signed of um, considering an audition for Poison. Right. I remember when Poison first came out. Do you know the story, Raz? Yeah, yeah, I heard this. Go ahead. Well, basically that the guys came out, you know, what they did in Poison when they came out on stage, they would jump out on stage and say, hi, I'm Brett. Hi, I'm Cece. And they wanted him to, they wanted him to jog out there and go, hi, I'm Slash. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That was it. He was done, you know. You no, know, it's what's funny is like I heard that story at the time because Axel was in L.A. Guns, and he yeah. Slash was telling him that he's trying out for Poison or whatever, and uh, mm -hmm. supposedly Slash said, "Yeah, right then when he's like, they were like, yeah, we it's between you and CC for the band for for Poison, right? And then uh, <laughs> is that, do you have anything? Uh, you've been to a Poison show? And he's like, yeah. And they go, anything about our band? You know, you, you had any thoughts? And he's like, yeah, you know that part where you do the. The hi, I'm Bobby. Hi, I'm Ricky. Like you just said, and then Slash says, "I think I think that's the gayest shit I ever heard." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very monkeys, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very monkeys. Oh, I'm glad they don't do oh, that anymore. Monkeys. That's what's weird though, because Poison was so cool. Like they were cool guys, and they were their shows were fun. I mean, they weren't GNR, and I could understand where people like you know would purists like hard rock people wouldn't like them or whatever. Like. But they were so fun, man. And like for their time, I, I, those guys, I, I love Poison, man. No, I'm, I'm a Poison fan too. I hate, I hate to say it, but I'm gonna get in trouble. But I love those guys. <laughs> no, Aww. I'm with you. I mean, I have, 
10 Guns N' Roses shirts, but I still have a Poison shirt in there. There you go, yeah. You know, but, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine Slash doing that. Hi, I'm Slash. You know, assuming Hi, he's I'm Slash. pulling his hair, you know, across, <laughs> out of his face doing that. Uh, this, is, have, this is interesting. I'm, I'm wondering if Raz has thought about this, too. But And I think I spoke about this with you a little bit off the air, Marcel. Now that you, you know, you're, you're an author, and you were there for a lot of these characters before they became characters do you see a script there because everyone you know of course a guns N' roses movie is not a new idea but Mm -hmm. it has to be the right movie and this seems like there's another story aside from just the band itself you know fairfax high school where it just seemed like you know uh 90210 but just with all rock stars like a high school show all with all rock stars. Do you see some sort of script there? You know, like, yeah, can you I mean, can you believe like what you experience? Because it's one thing going to, the, to a school with just with one famous person, but you've just right. you know you've interacted and went to school with so many different people. I feel like there's there's a, your story and similar stories, Raz stories, need to be documented. I mean, yes, on this podcast or in your books or whatever, but right. I don't know, like in a yeah, a it would be really play. fun. It would really. It would be really fun to see them as young. In fact, so here's something when I was uh, in high school. So here's an ACDC tie-in. Nice. When ACDC was coming around with, um, I guess, for those about to rock, and tickets were going on sale at Ticketmaster, a little record store here up on Sunset. And my friends and I, you know, were like, okay, we're not going to school. we got to get tickets. So we were in line super early, and at 10 o'clock, the doors are still locked, and we watch the people inside the store start printing up the tickets. Like, they're printing tickets out of the machine, and they're telling us through the window, the machine's not working. But we're watching them pull all the seats. Bastards. Bastards. So <laughs> then, so I took, a bus to, uh, I took a bus to Westwood Village to another ticket master. And basically, it was like the same thing. wasn't a total loss, though, because I bought a cassette of uh, The Police, I think, Ghost in the Machine. So that was cool. Nice. Yeah. And then um, what happened from there was I ended up connecting with some guys from Fairfax that were ticket scalpers, like a professional ring of scalpers. And they had it locked up. What they would do is they would go, they would basically load a van, 15 kids and pay off the security guards, and we'd get security wristbands and priority in line, and we would buy the tickets. We'd give them the tickets. They gave us cash to buy tickets for them, and they'd pay us 50 or 60 bucks for a morning's work. And I did that for a while. And the funny thing is when I graduated high school, I ended up going to work for a ticket broker. And, uh, like, I was determined to never go through that again. And for the next... (laughs) 15 years had front row. So I went to every show, like Iron Maiden, I mean, Judas Priest and the Stones and Tom Petty, everything that came through. Did you see Twisted Sister on the on the Stay, Stay Hungry tour at the Palladium? At the Palladium? I don't know. I don't think so. I remember that was seeing... Like one of my uh, all-time favorite shows. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just wondering. Really? Was, no, I don't I, think I did. I wanted to share the love I, with you on that show, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I don't recall it. Okay. But, um... So, you know, all this time, so me, so I went to work for this very, um, you know, really powerful ticket broker in L.A. We had this office up on Sunset at the Crossroads of the World. And it was right around that time. So I was 17, 18, playing in bands, hanging out with the GNR guys. My friends are coming in for tickets. And so I just recently finished 
after writing this first book, I wrote a TV pilot called Up Close Tickets. And it's incorporating all the shenanigans without throwing anybody under the bus. Okay, so all the stories of what people were doing are now belonging to these characters um, in this script that I'm pitching. So I'm having a lot of fun with it because it's not like I'm saying, you know, I saw so-and-so do such-and-such, but the stories are there. I think that's great because it's kind of now that I'm thinking about, you know, if there's anything similar, um, the movie Rockstar, they never mentioned Mm -hmm. Judas Priest, but of course, you know, it's about... But it's and they use different names, different bands. But it was just a cool story. This guy, you know, we all know the story. The the the, the, the cover band lead singer becomes lead singer of Cruise Priest, but none of the names were used. I guess I don't know if they used it for an anonymity or or whatever. But so right. I'm, I'm glad you are working on something because it just again it just needs to be told. And all these side characters, which I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I'm I'm grateful to be able to talk uh, that I spoke to Chris Weber and Alan St. Delisa, and they both told amazing stories but yeah. who's actually going to take the pen to paper and i think it's just so cool because i keep kicking myself one of these days i will i have tried to write a book and things of that but it's just such a focus that you need uh to do which i just haven't gotten to that point in my life yet but now that you're working on your second i'm like she lived it i don't want somebody else to write a gnr book that wasn't <laughs> there like she lived it and she's an author like you know, not to put any pressure on you but right, right. No, no pressure at all. But no I, it's just like I appreciate that. If anyone could do it, you know, it just seems like the stars are somewhat aligning a little bit. So is that like when did you uh, make the transition from, you know, being around that uh, circus? No pun intended. I'm sure it's not <laughs> yeah, the first time you've yeah. heard that. Uh, to what you you do now, you know, writing and and doing dig- digital media. Like when did you, you know, sure. when did that so, transition? That- Mm-hmm. That came about right around 95, 96. I had a friend that, who was a guitar player that I was jamming with who was also working at Disney Studios, and they had just got access to the Internet. And he called me over to the studio a lot. And he said, come here, you got to see this thing. And, of course, I was blown away. Um, I remember the first web page I ever saw was an illustration. It was a static picture from Germany of a guy giving me the finger. Basically. <laughs> it was the fuck you finger, and I thought – and I had – I had worked in publishing. I worked for Peterson Publishing for a while with Handgun Magazine and Wall Street Journal. So I had a good sense of budgets and what it cost to print a paper. And sitting in front of the computer seeing this from Germany, I was like, you know, my brain lit up. So three days later, I'm building my own web pages. We built a company. We put together a site. We sold it. And then I stayed in digital media for a while, and I ended up working as a producer, um, producing work for Lexus and Automotive and Ritz-Carlton and Samsung and Chevrolet and different kind of events, producing like Hologram and 3D and taking over digital billboards in Times Square and some really great projects. Wow. Um, And playing and playing, you know, so like that was my day job. Like it wasn't like I wasn't going to get a job at Taco Bell. Like it was, you know, I had this actual career running. At the same time, I had a band with this gal, Maisa, who I met at Raz's studio. Mm. Dizzy was playing shows with us and recording with us, and we got a deal with Sonic Records. And so we would go out and play shows, and this was like the mid-'90s. And uh, we were getting ready to do a second album, and there were some uh, you know, issues with the label. The, the band wasn't feeling like the label was <laughs> giving the band what they expected in recording a second album. 
and we literally just disbanded right mm-hmm. on the spot. Like, here's the contract, and we were like, okay, we're done. Oh, wow. And uh, so I kind of dove into uh, production a lot more. And then, um, and I had written a column. I used to write a column for the Hollywood Gazette, um, Clubs by Circus. And I used to review bands in like 85, 86, oh, cool. I guess. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, maybe it'll be fun to write again. And then like the Shiksa joke came up. And, <laughs> and, I, and so I wrote that book. And, you know, I was... Uh, yeah, I was just kind of playing with it, and then I thought, and then I started remembering the whole ticket thing, you know, the ticket agency in the 80s, and I thought, yeah, that might be a fun way to um, tell some of those stories. You know, it was just a real crazy, maniacal, drug-fueled, cash cow, you know, around-the-clock kind of job. Is there drugs? Did say drugs? <laughs> At work? I know. I just kidding. It just caught my, that caught oh, yeah. my ear said drugs. I was like, oh, Pavlov's oh, yeah. yeah, Raz got I, You know what? I can't, I, I cannot remember, honestly, I can't remember a job that I had between 1982 and 1992 where the boss wasn't laying out coke. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's weird. Like in my studio, I, I remember we were more like into pot, but I might have my, my coke and cocaine days over there too and speed, but mostly pot like all the time. And it was like, Man, it was there. There was never not pot being smoked smoked there. Oh yeah, right out in the open, like the all day. Yeah, yeah with, it was fun. Pot it's aside, but so with all, and I spoke about Shut this up. with Raz because I know Raz Raz wasn't into the the hard stuff. Um, are you surprised that so many people <laughs> from your era have kind of survived? I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> a, a rest in peace, Hillel. But but I mean, with all the Guns and Roses yeah. guys, did you expect any of them to be? You know, like, do you expect in 2018 all the GNR guys to be here and the possibility of a full appetite reunion to be to be there? Or, yeah, I I am a little bit surprised. I mean, some stuff that went on with um, like Nikki Six and Slash, and you know, you've heard the stories. Sure, it's some pretty scary stuff, you know. And the Steven, the Steven thing, I get it. I just want to say too, and I know you know fans are upset, obviously, that Steven's not a part of that. And, you know, the sense I get is that, you know, Stevens, okay, let's say here, this is a long concert to play. This is a heavy commitment and a grueling schedule and an incredible physically demanding, (laughs) um, you know, opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And they're doing it and they're like superhuman doing it. And I really don't, I think more than anything, I believe that the decisions that were made that didn't really facilitate Stephen being on the tour had more to do with the physicality, with the physical demands of being able to just do it. And, you know, they made decisions that they had to make. And I think that, I mean, personally, I think they are doing a phenomenal job. It is a a legendary tour. I can't imagine what could come after it. I mean, forget raising the bar. They've just set the bar. I mean, go to another concert and watch a band play for three and a half hours with that level of energy and precision and put on a show like they are. I mean, they're giving the fans an incredible experience. It's fantastic. And it's unfortunate that not everybody was up to being able to be a part of that. 
he, he says, you know, when, when Stephen has spoke, spoken publicly, he believes that he is physically able to do it. And I think that's what he's trying to, to prove now with, uh, with Adler's Appetite. They did those dates in Australia, and we'll see what they do here uh-huh. in, in America. I mean, he's even put it out there. And I think even Frank said, like, if he wants to play the Appetite stuff, I could play the other stuff. Do, do you think uh-huh. it was as like, cut and dry as that? Or they could have been creative with it and maybe have Stephen do more than what he did in his, in his guest spots. I mean, because do you talk to any of these guys? I mean, I, I think you did say, like, I mean, like on, uh, in a, on a regular basis or just every now and then you, you keep in touch? Because um, I'm just curious, like, what you know of their feelings now. Yeah, more, more recently than in the past. In past years, you know, there was a gap there. Okay. But, um, no, I mean, you know, without saying he said or she said, I can tell you that there's a feeling that the physicality of it would take its toll and that it would leave them, you know, in an awkward situation Hmm. were he not able to um, perform. What are your thoughts on on Izzy then? What was the last time you spoke to him? Because he's he's obviously the... uh, the, A really long time ago. Yeah, we like like, Facebook friended. Yeah, no, we Facebook friended, I think, in 2010, and I don't think we've talked since. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a really long time. I mean, I remember hearing after he had left that he went back to Indiana and he was driving his go-karts and he was very happy. Mm -hmm. And that that still may be the case. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, anytime you have a partnership or a band or a business of any kind, and let's say you have a let's say you have a business and you and your partner, you both make more money than you could spend. You're happy and everything's great. And then suddenly you want to do a particular kind of music or go in a certain direction and your partner doesn't. So the next likely thing to happen is that you're going to part ways. Sure. You know, because you both have the ability and the resources and the desire and the experience to express the music that you want to express. I mean, I, it, it's really interesting, you know, because Slash, the whole Guns N' Roses thing is very similar to what happened with Aerosmith. And I remember when Aerosmith was kind of, you know, not together and uh, saying to Slash, hey, you want, you want to go to whatever, the whiskey or do something? And he'd be like, no, I'm going to Madame Wong's to see the Joe Perry Project. I'm like, oh, well, enjoy sitting in a room by yourself with two other people, you know? Mm. And I was like, yeah, Joe Perry, it's so interesting how they kind of went their ways and then came back together. Mm. And GNR kind of went that same route. I, I always thought about that, but what, I mean, like Joe Perry, like you said, he couldn't draw, you know? Like, I, I remember I lived in Costa Mesa when the Joe Perry Project played, and there was like 30 people at the club or something, man. It was like crazy. And he could uh, not draw. But Slash can draw still, though. Right. You know, like he goes out, he makes money. Like when he goes out there, like on his not GNR money, I'm saying, but he he does, he does uh, make some cash when he plays on, you know. Yeah, I'll tell you what. One of my most memorable, and I saw probably I don't know more than half a dozen shows on the night in this lifetime. The show that I saw was Slash right before GNR. So GNR, the first show I saw on this tour was uh, in Vegas. Okay. Right, 2016 in April. So, like, that was, you know, right after Axel broke his foot at the Troubadour, like a week later, they were in Vegas. And right. I saw that Vegas show. And before that, in October 2015, I saw Slash play with Miles Kennedy. And I didn't know anything about Miles Kennedy, but it's like, oh, you know, our buddy Slash is playing. You know, we should, <laughs> we should go support. So I went to see him at the Palladium. Unbelievable. Knocked us out. 
I mean, and it was like a you know, three-hour show, and it was phenomenal. And we had no idea or, or at all about a GNR reunion or anything like that. I mean, GNR, you know, aside, Slash is an incredible, incredible guitar player to watch. No matter who he's playing with or where he's playing, I would go see it. Yeah, he's fun. One of my favorite guitar players, hands down. Yeah. Yeah, same here. And that's what's been really interesting about their dynamic, because Slash has been successful on his own. You know, uh mm-hmm. I mean, Snake Pit had its own version of uh, his success, of, of success, obviously now with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators putting out a new record. Um, even before Velvet then Revolver. with... Velvet Revolver. Yeah, Velvet Revolver slash a solo record with all the uh, different lead singers, uh, Guitar Hero, I mean, he cameos oh, yeah, in different yeah, TV, TV shows. I mean, yeah, yeah he had it. So it is interesting because when people call it like kind of like a cash grab, because even Duff had success. It's not where... It, they were ever a has-been. It was just... Yeah, you know, when it's just you, and you were in a group with four or five people before, when it's just you, you make five times as much as whatever the paycheck says when you get your paycheck. So. Sure, and but this is all making so, me think where they could if all... You, if you play for mm-hmm. 5,000 people, it's like you're playing for 25,000 people, basically, and you're making that pay, so... Mm, that's, a, that's a fair point, but it, it, it makes me think to what you said before, Marcel, about the bar. Yeah, the, a bar has been set, but now what's left other than exactly. potentially making new music, which may happen, uh, it's mm-hmm. the the Izzy being a part of it. It's Steven being a part of it. Because I just can't imagine anything other other than maybe a Zeppelin reunion. And even that, I might <laughs> argue that. I might argue that, to be honest with you, because I think GNR is uh, more... Zeppelin wins hands down, man. Zeppelin wins hands down. Cole, I, don't, I think <laughs> it's because they have more of a reach to the younger audience, GNR, than Zeppelin does. Yeah, of the time. I think that's the only reason why I say that. It's not even... Okay, let, let's yeah. say this. What do you think, like, let's say the original lineup, Guns N' Roses, right? Uh-huh. Like, everybody. Like, playing, like, you know, Appetite or whatever. And then our Zeppelin playing, you know, like, Zeppelin 4. Like, at the O2 Arena. You think, like, you think that um, GNR would sell more days in a row? I think that would be a yeah. really fascinating question if there was no previous GNR reunion, where it's like... Yeah, there you go. Okay, and that's probably why Zeppelin would win, yeah. I think Zeppelin... It's a tough question if it was just like, if not in this I lifetime was the five. like two weeks, man. I bet they could do that for two weeks and like sell out that arena. Oh, I... Or maybe like a week, a week and a half or something. I have no doubt. But just because just cause like what you said, the... Because of the GNR playing so recently, right? You no, know, I don't know. I I can't. I don't see them putting together that group necessarily and doing the kind of tour that they just did. What oh you, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. You, you know, but what but do you, you see they could get the, You never know. I mean, I mean, I would think that if they could even go to the Orpheum or the Ritz or go somewhere and do five nights and then put together a film, you know, maybe, maybe that would make. That would be the best. I'm going to include, and this is funny. We're talking to Raz, uh, Raz about this before. My my audience knows. In addition to just like these interviews, I like to do different segments and make it part of a, uh, you know, make it like sound like a radio show. But we're talking about it now, so just uh, watch out for the sound bike. News. I know it's awkward, but it's my show, whatever. Just because we're talking about like what the future is going to hold, and I just got to. I was going to talk about it in the news segment after the fact. So Slash just did an interview with uh, with Eddie Trunk uh, from the Rainbow, and they were talking about what's the possibility of new music. So Slash uh, said, "We it, it has been talked about. I think everybody wants to do it. We'll just see what happens. We've been busy uh, doing this, running around the planet." 
uh, of course, referring to the Not In This Lifetime tour, which over two years ago. And initially, it was just uh, supposed to be five shows, the reunion, just five shows and then done. So that's why it's like you just don't know what's going to happen. So if anything, this is just continued hope that something could possibly happen. But what do you do you foresee anything since you're kind of close knit to these people? In my head, I'm thinking if GNR does happen, great. But Slash is going to continue working with Miles and Todd Kearns and everybody. I'm wondering if Slash is going to do, I mean, excuse me, uh, Duff is going to continue to do the Loaded thing. I know they have one one-off charity show uh, this fall. Um, I'm just wondering if they're all, like, Axel with Axel DC, if they're all going to have like their own little yeah. bands. I know. But then come back to the mothership at some point and you just see how that goes. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm thinking that this may all piece together. And I that's never. That's all I want. Who would have thought this? Axel to do a ACDC record. That's all I care about. Well, part of the news is that uh, there has been some ACDC personnel spotted in Vancouver. So we'll see what may or may not happen. And, mm. you know, that's how that's it's best been. Best case scenario, man. Best case scenario. It was, for me, one of the best shows I've ever seen was, I, I know, uh, Marcel, you said you saw a six on that in this lifetime. But did you uh, get to see Axel Rose with ACDC? I was lucky enough, I think five rows from the stage here in Madison Square Garden, and I was yeah. like, "Whoa!" Like I yeah, did not I expect that. Well, I heard some. I've heard some of the live video, and it was amazing. Isn't that great? Yeah. Did not yeah, expect amazing. that. Amazing. Did, did not... not expect it. <laughs> not at all. No. Hey, you know what? Back in the day, when when Axel was in LA Guns, I was like, I told him one time, I was like, you know what? When when ACDC needed a new singer after Bon Scott died, they should have got you. And so it's funny, like 30 years later, just I didn't put that in my book because it seemed so far-fetched. Mm. But it's, I actually told him that back then because it would have been perfect. Can you imagine that back then? But Back in Black's a pretty great album. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. Brian, but Brian Johnson we, didn't anything. we got Appetite and Axel and ACDC. It's a really interesting time to be part of the Guns N' Roses universe, and that's why it's so fun to go back and to find out where this this craziness started and just to kind of find out that you had a picture that Slash drew on your wall of Aerosmith and Izzy inquired about it and then and that's how they they eventually met. And then again, yeah. just it, they're not a stagnant band. So like to go back to the, the, the Zeppelin thing, Zeppelin is stagnant. They're not really doing anything. You know, at least G and R, even when they were broken up, all the members were kind of doing something. So there's still sort of, you know, lifeblood in the band and in the in the community. So uh so people care about these stories, like because it's ongoing. It's this, this never-ending story. Uh, no, I guess no for me as I look at my never-ending story tattoos. That, that was not <laughs> that was not on purpose. Um, so I know you're working on your second book. So the first one is already out now. A Shiksa's Guide to Shabos. Don't blow out the candles. That's on Amazon and right. all that fun stuff, right? Or like, what's it your, is. Where can uh, also people? Uh, yeah, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I like the and. Uh... Mm-hmm. The new book is uh, A Shiksa's Guide to Jewish Cooking. The secret ingredient is salt. <laughs> uh, help, helpful tips for rustling up traditional Jewish fare. I love it. And, uh, yeah, it's really fun. And it's, like, fun for me because I was going back through when I was a kid in Brooklyn, like, all my favorite, you know, Brooklyn eats, you know, on the boardwalk. And just it's just really fun. Oh, yeah. I love it because a lot of times during Hanukkah, and I'm a terrible Jew. I mean, I've forgotten everything, everything since my bar mitzvah. But people are like, what's a latka? And I'm like, well, you mean, are you talking about Andy Kaufman from Taxi? Or are you talking about the, like, the, the actual uh, the food? 
So you have it written out like kind of like a, a glossary of terms with pictures. So it's yeah, just... it's kind of cartoony. I have uh, my son is twelve and a half, okay. and we're preparing for his bar mitzvah now. Nice. And you know, I've been reading so many children's books that I just really liked the feel of. So I decided when I was going to write my book, I would write it to look like a children's book. So I have these big illustrations and really huge typeface, and uh, that's all intentional, you know. And this is the start of something. I mean, you, you obviously have accomplishments already, but it seems like you have so many more ideas and future projects. So, like, what can oh, we expect? Oh my, from you? what can you expect? Yeah. Well, here's what you can expect. Here's what's coming down the line. Okay, so Shakespeare book number two is coming out probably um, by the end of the month. Oh wow! Okay. Then I'm going back to write another uh, episode of the Up Close Tickets of the '80s rock and roll. Uh, Sunset Strip yeah. era. Yeah, no, that's that's you know as much as yeah. I, as excited I am as about the, the the Jew stuff. That's yeah, the Juiciest stuff. <laughs> Sorry, hey, there's, that there's was terrible. Jews in that story too, though. <laughs> What's that, Raz? There, there's Jews in the ticket story too. Okay, all right. Where where I'm everywhere? Just, I'm just guessing. Where everywhere? Are you? <laughs> there are. There I, are. Of your token genteel here. That's why I love Stephen Adler's part of the tribe, half of uh, half a slash, you know. Half a slash, that's right. Yeah, there you Bottom go. Bottom half or top half? <laughs> You're funny. Personally, I wouldn't know. Ah, all right. Oh, but we... <laughs> you can tell us. I haven't had the pleasure. <laughs> that's funny. Well, we found out which Maybe half I just of, got uh, a big mouth. Well, we found out which half of Lenny Kravitz is Jewish when his uh, leather pants split a few years ago on stage. Uh, Did you see that? I love Lenny. Yeah. I did. I never saw the uncensored oh, no. one. Is it? Can you, do you get a good good cock shot right there? I'll have to look for that. Oh, oh yeah. No, it's all hanging out. It's all hanging uh, out. Yeah. No. Uh, but that's popular on the internet. If you want to go his way, it's there. Uh, and my, my mama said not to. <laughs> Raz and I are good at awful puns, and I'm glad you picked up on that right away. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and see, that's like the corny Jewish humor, so that's why I know you and I would get along, Marcel. You know, oh, just... yeah, definitely. Oh, I could tell you stories. I'm writing, um, I'm also writing a feature. It's kind of, remember the movie Little Darlings? Little, yeah. 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 Right. The Little Darlings with the girls, they go to camp and they have a bet to see who can lose their virginity. I sound so familiar. I, I will have to watch it. Is it, is it, okay, oh, what is it? McNichol. When did it come out? Dig it up on Hulu, maybe. Oh, probably 1982. Okay. Maybe. I'll have maybe to check it out. that. Yeah, so I'm writing uh, I'm writing a feature about it's basically it takes place in 1980 in Brooklyn, um, and it's uh, based on my summer there, hanging out at Quaalude Bay, Bay One, and Brighton, Brighton Beach, and some of the shenanigans uh, that we got into. Quaalude Bay. Quaalude Bay. Um, yeah, you never heard of that? No, I haven't. That's I like. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, 1980, Bay One was referred to as Quaalude Bay. And you had to be careful if you were laying out getting a suntan because people were tripping on Quaaludes. Like, they would fall right on top of you and just lay there. Wow. You know, yeah, people were dropping. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. so Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn was, was a lot of fun. I spent summers there till I was about 15. My dad, I think, because he never really did hard drugs, but he told me back in the day he used to do Quaaludes. You know, like so. I guess yeah. it was a Brooklyn thing. You know, Quaaludes yeah. are I mean, a lot better than fentanyl. Yeah, that's true. You know, you not... know, Raz will know. Raz will tell you in twenty-five years, you probably never saw me, you know, even remotely drunk, and that is true. I'm, I'm a very kind of controlled 
person and didn't get into that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you even use your illusion, I have a credit on use your illusion. And I like to say, you know, people say to me, how come your name's on that record? And I'm like, well, because I'm a voice of reason in chaos. <laughs> yeah. So how did that come about? I, did, I didn't know that. So what's, yeah. the, what's the I'll have to go back and look at the, at the notes. So you were given a credit because you, you helped an argument. Because I am you? a voice of reason. <laughs> You know, just the friendship and, you know, spent a lot of time. And I remember, you know, it was, there was some, it was awkward, right? It was very awkward. First of all, Flash and Axel weren't ever recording at the same time mm-hmm. during Use Your Illusion. Um, the studio was always kind of weirdly quiet. There would always be maybe one or two people, <laughs> you know, working at any given time. Mm. And uh, I remember one night, after recording, I guess Axel was with Dizzy and Dizzy's wife at the time, Lisa, came by and four of us were left. It was like three in the morning. And Axel took us up to his house that he had just bought up in Hollywood Hills. He hadn't moved in yet. And everybody was drinking. And after everybody drinking, I became the designated driver to take Axel back home at the end of the night. And we came tearing back down the mountain. Hmm. And uh, he had his road soda in his hand and <laughs> he was yelling at me. He was yelling at me to take the turns faster, and I was like, you know, freezing out at night. And top down was on his BMW, and I said, okay, okay. So, you know, I hit the gas and took a turn, and his drink just went all over him in the front seat. No, it was hilarious. He asked for it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was, fault. But we, we were laughing about it. We were laughing about it. But yeah, I mean, it was a lot, you know, there was a lot of drinking and I think he was probably, that was right around the time too, that he was going through his divorce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you know, we just talked a lot, you know, like friends do, that's all. So that, that's what it's about. Right. Do you still talk? Um, I only saw him very briefly once um, at the start of the tour, you know, to say hello. Okay. And, uh, and that was it. Yeah. But it's still, you know, every once in a while, he, I mean, obviously he remembers you, but you could still say he's a, he's a still a, a friend, I guess. I or, consider or, or, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like when I say it's Marcel, he's like, Marcel? Marcel, Marcel, you know, from a long time ago? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. I love it. Okay. I love it. Uh, is there anything, because I mean, I could be talking to you for, for hours and I would like for you to come back again, because... You're every time I, every time we spoke to, uh, to each other through Facebook and then now here, there's always something like else I'm finding out that's just fascinating. So I can't imagine what else you have, um, sure. in, in the back of your mind. Is there any like maybe like a story that I'm missing that you can leave us with? Because I I know you, there was stuff about Ooh. Tommy Lee you told me, or was there anything? I know your first slow dance was was with Hillel. Uh, Hillel, yeah, at a party at Beth's house. Yeah, flea like to run around naked was always the first one to skip the whole shows, run around, <laughs> run around the party naked. That no, sounds about first, right. Like actual semi grown up penis any of me or my girlfriends ever saw <laughs> was his. Um, Fucking flea. Yeah, without a doubt. I used to go see Fear and Minor Threat. I used to go to these punk gigs like in Huntington Park. Oh, you see Fear back in the day? Oh, sure. Saw flea play horn with them. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I mean, I saw great bands. Used to go to Raji's and see the Minutemen, and and then it was this whole punk thing. So we had like the punkers at Fairfax High, and my girlfriend and I we used to ditch and go hang out in Venice with the Suicidal Tendencies guys. Oh wow! Okay. So it was like lads versus Sueys, and 
And then one night, this is ridiculous, Debbie and I, we ditched and we were hanging out at Venice High. And we ended up at like Mar Vista Park with some Suey boys and Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendencies was there. And things all of a sudden took a very strange turn and they were like chasing us and my car died. And Debbie and I literally, like we had to abandon the car and started running through Mar Vista hiding in alleys to try to lose them. And it was so stupid. And then like, Honestly, maybe like two years later, I went, I took a music theory class. I had enrolled in Santa Monica City College. And uh, there was Mike Muir sitting next to me in music class. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do this. You know what? That that, was like, that's one band that I always thought was going to be super huge. They didn't get, I mean, they're, you know, legendary. Well, they got big. I, I know, they're legendary, but they never got like super, like, I thought they were going to be mega, you know, like Rage and like up there with all them, you know, so. Yeah, no, it didn't really happen. I mean, they're still around. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love. I still. Yeah, I still listen. I love those guys. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, and then like you know, Poison, like Steeler. Steeler used to rent out this uh, studio over on Washington near La Brea, I guess, sort of the more south part of Hollywood. Where Poison? Poison Studio. Well, okay, it used to be Steeler Mansion, and when Steeler moved out, it became Poison Palace. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I used to rent. So I used to rent a space with my band. It was around 1986. We had a space at the Hollywood Billiards at Hollywood and Western, and that's where I reconnected with uh, Sid and Dizzy from the Wild. Oh, okay. Because um, they had a lockout up there. Mm. And then hey, did, you, did you go to a lot of Wild shows back then, like when they were over on Gardner and stuff, or later? Oh yeah, yeah, a crap ton. Yeah, those guys are great. Oh my God. Yeah, Johnny and the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, first they were Johnny and the Jaguars all the time. In fact, I remember the, the Duff incident where he borrowed my rig for that Roxy show. And uh, I guess he didn't have a car, and I didn't have a car big enough to get my stuff home. And Dizzy came to the rescue. He was the only one that had a truck. Oh, yeah, all yeah. those guys were living at Gardner Studio. That was the funniest thing. You know, during Use Your Illusion that night, like the Axel and I were driving around the city and uh, we said, Hey, let's go to the old studio. And it was so sad. We like, we parked the car in the lot where Gardner studios was, but they had already de- demolished the, the bungalows that were there. Yeah, and uh, you know, we paid homage. Like we stood there silently at five in the morning and paid homage to the empty space that was um, yeah, yeah, for on the that rest line. of our shenanigans. Over there, the uh, Guitar Center parking lot, like in the what? The north. Yeah, right behind it. Yeah, in the north. Yeah, the northeast corner. Oh no, southwest. I'm backwards. I'm spun around, but yeah, over there in the far part, away from the. Yeah, yeah. If you go up that little side, you would have been on the right. Feel the ghosts of of rock and roll past right there when you sit there. I'll tell you what I feel. I feel the ghost of like ten thousand ants crawling around the bathroom. (laughs) Do you remember? Do you Uh, (laughs) you remember that? That bathroom, man. Man, that was like, man, that bathroom. Okay. Like Brandon, that was worse Brandon than Folk Hugh Studios' bathroom. Was it as yeah. bad as the CBGB bathroom? I don't know if anything could be as bad as that, but Folk <laughs> was unmemorable, so that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. But I can't imagine, like, four bands of guys living in those studios and using that ant-infested bathroom. I mean, wow. that was, <laughs> it was gross. Wow. Yeah. But, no, Raz had, Raz had, right there. Raz's studio was 
a class act. And, and Raz, I owe you an apology for Tim setting the couch on fire. Uh, what whatever. Officially, I got all my couches for free anyway. So you send his you. Okay, good. You put his couch on fire? You said what, what happened? No, my guitar player did. My guitar player. We were setting up for a, a showcase for a, a label, and uh, he actually set the couch on fire. Like <laughs> during, on during purpose? Like or no, a cigarette no, went out? Like they were doing great white covers. <laughs> we weren't. We weren't. That's mean. I'm sorry. I take. I retract that. No, you don't. And, uh, <laughs> I know. Weird. You know, we did hey, the one know, uh, CD and Dizzy played on it, but I haven't seen or talked to Maisa. There was a band that I was in with Maisa and Dizzy played on it. And we did a lot of shows together and Sid played drums for us, Sid Riggs from Kidney Thieves and Halford. And I haven't heard, I haven't talked to her probably since 96. Oh, wow. I mean, well, in, in addition to uh, your Shiksa books and the, the Ticketmaster thing you're working on, I mean, at some point your autobiography needs to come out as well. So yeah, I, I, I should do that. All in due time. I mean, you got to help your son practice for his bar mitzvah. Which the only reason I remember the date of mine is when because the, the Yankees won the World Series that night, October oh, twenty, wow. October twenty sixth, nineteen ninety six. That was my bar mitzvah right. gift. No, the Yankees won. Oh, the World but how Series. did you do on your aliyahs? Did you pull it off? Sure, I'm sure I did. I was such an awkward. Te- I mean, we're all awkward teenagers, but I was really bad. Like I was just so oh, nervous. It's just so it's all it's so ironic, again. Like how we go, you know, where the GNR guys were then and where they are now, and obviously it's that could be, you know, that could pertain to anybody. So I used to be just really shy, and the fact that I do radio now is just crazy to me. So when I got up and did my prayers, the bracha, whatever, I just mm-hmm. beat red and just really be, like so scared. Now I don't give a crap. It's just it's uh yeah. it's just funny again. Uh, the, the the then and now again, which is just uh, incredible. But I'm glad I got to know you a little bit, at least now, before you really blow up and start, you know, getting uh, all Thank these you. best all these bestsellers out there. We got two, cra- you know, two like there should be more well known authors on the line right now. Thank you. And I'm reading Raz's book, and I want to say to Raz, like I ordered the book and I was reading it, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to flip through this. I mean, it is intense. I am savoring the insanity. So hmm. please don't judge me for taking a little bit longer because I'm learning stuff I had no idea. And it's just phenomenal. It really is. Thanks a lot. Phenomenal read. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> so this is the homework assignment for my readers. I mean, obviously they know about the days of Guns and Razzes. Now they got to get a Shiksa's Guide to Shabos. Uh, right. I mean, I'm, I, I appreciate you sending me an advanced copy of the... Uh, the yeah, I the Jewish cooking. yeah, I gave you a little tease. Yeah, so I, I will, you know, I will get that. Um, I can't expect everything you send me to is be free. A, is I, it a cookbook? Your second one? I mean, is there actual recipes in it? You know, no, it's not a cookbook. Uh, I'm disappointed, but I'll get it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that should be on the back of want, that book. You know, when they put... I know, like, if you want the recipe, call me. If not, like a review. Them, you know? I think that's a funny review to put on the back of your next book. You know, uh, like Twilight Zone. It's not a cookbook. It's not. It's not a cookbook, not but a I, cookbook. I'll get it anyway. Quote Raz exactly. Q. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, how can fans keep? Because you're uh, Shiksa Books on Instagram, um, right? And is um, there... Shiksa Books on Instagram, or they can look me up, Marcel Circus. I have a web page and email, and people are welcome to connect. Awesome. And 
just for in the future, I mean, this is what Raz has become. Uh, for one, Raz has become. Hold on, I get more sound clips, and I played it before for for him. He's a. That's what I call my listeners or friends of the show, Bad Apples. However, Raz, since he's more of an Osmonds guy, I got him this one. So he's a fr- he's obsessed with the Osmonds. So he's that kind of a, a bad apple. You're the GNR bad apple. But Raz, when he was right. a guest, he's come back as a co-host. So he, I mean, you've been on a lot. Who, uh, James Hunting okay. with West Arkeen. Like what other episodes? Uh, oh, with uh, that's when you debuted the 1985. Was that with Chris Weber? No, Rob, Robbie Gardner. That was with Rob Gardner. Yes. So he, he came away interview Rob Gardner together. That's great. I played with Rob Gardner with Robin Tracy. See, isn't that that's amazing? So you, you know you you already have a laundry list of titles. Your resume is insane. So if you want to add you know radio co-host or radio host to that, if you want to come back on again, uh, and not just be interviewed, if you want to do the interviewing and you want to bring somebody on from. Fairfax High School, somebody that, that would make sense in the uh, in the GNR universe. Uh, not that I expect you to go bring Slash on, which would be great. But anyone who we feel would be a great <laughs> a great storyteller, you know, uh, you know, please feel free to come on and uh, you know be a part of this crazy little podcast experiment that I have going on. I would love that. That sounds fantastic. I really appreciate the invitation today. It's awesome. A lot of fun. Again, thank you for all all the goodies that you send me the the demo the real demo that um yeah that they send uh the the Aerosmith pictures I want to I want to give you credit for all of the the Aerosmith pictures that Slash once uh drew of course your books uh you gave me a not in this lifetime poster was that from the show like where did you get that from Oh a friend of mine at Live Nation Okay had... <laughs> That's cool and... Yeah buddy of mine I passed him on the street and he said here will you take these for me and I said okay so I thought okay maybe Brando would like one of these And I like even with the uh, the demo that you took pictures of the cassette so I could put them yeah, up in my yeah. fridge and you know just a lot of our uh, yeah, cool goodies cool. I mean Axel wrote it I mean Axel in a red pen labeled all that stuff and put it together I have another one that's typewritten too that said circa 85 but it's the same it's the same demo Awesome. Just, uh, I'm just, I'm, yeah. thank you, Raz, for connecting me with uh, Marcel. Marcel, you're always uh, welcome back. You know, if you ever want to talk about Jews, GNR, or just, you know, <laughs> you have enough interesting things uh, ha- that have happened and that will happen, continue to happen in your life. Um, you're just helping me with, you know, just great stories. And that's what this podcast I is about. I would love it. I'm happy to share. Awesome. Thank you so I much. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you guys awesome. having me here today. Of course. And Raz, you're going to hang on for us for a little bit longer, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Marcel, thanks, man. It was great talking with you, like, last week and this week and everything, man. It's cool. Yeah, you too. Let's, you know, we'll stay connected, and you'll be hearing from me on the book. I love what you write about McDonald's, too, because I give a shout-out to Taco Bell in my next book, which I think is really, really funny that we both did that. You know, I I think all food is health food, because if you don't eat it, you (laughs) die. I don't know if that applies to McDonald's and Taco Bell, but I definitely like the parallel. So I'm really having fun reading it, and I will definitely give you a call this week and um, share some notes with you about how fun it is and and what it's bringing back for me. I'm really enjoying it. So thank you. Awesome. Marcel, you have a great day, and we'll talk soon. Brandon, you too. Sounds good. Awesome. Take care. You too. Bye, you guys. Thanks again for for connecting me with her. I mean, you you didn't know that story about the... The picture, the Aerosmith picture that Slash drew. Oh man, I want one, man. It's funny. I want to hit her up. Like, she gave you like the whole goodie bag. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Was kind of like a a bar mitzvah parting bag. Like you go and you get. I I hooked you up, and I didn't even know it. 
<laughs> yeah, you really hooked me up. You're just, you know, it was a while ago. You're like, you know what? You should talk to my friend Marcel. And this is what I do with a lot of my listeners. And, you know, you just happen to actually have contacts with some of these people. I know somebody's, you know, recently tweeted me. It might be our friend, Mr. Mac. He's like, you should interview McBob. I'm like, yeah, I would love to interview McBob, but I just don't know how to connect with him. You sometimes have these actual connections and, you know, just like with uh, Rob Gardner and now with Marcel, you have connections and you're, you're, you're easy. It's a, your, your path of being a co-host is a little bit easier just because you're able to bring on a guest. And I, you know, I thank you because you didn't have to do that. You don't have to be a part of this and I'm happy to, and I hope it's been helping you sell books because it's not just about, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, what you contribute. I want to help Marcel. I mean, that's what it's all about. So that's why it's so cool that like, yeah, all the GNR guys have come on, uh, gone, gone on to be successful, but the other players, you know, you, you know, being an author, Marcel being an author, and you're all carving your own path, but still have that Guns N' Roses tie, which is just uh, so cool. And it was something interesting that, you know, Marcel uh, said, because she sent me that the part of the goodie bag, uh, the demos, right? And I have yet to burn it. I got I to gotta put the CD into my laptop because my car doesn't even have a CD player anymore. I don't know. If you get like a newer car, they don't even come with them. Yeah, mine doesn't have a CD player. So she mentioned uh, off air, just like don't post them. It's like your own listening pleasure because of copyright. And this has to do with um, uh, the, the last part of Shotgun News. And this is how we're, we'll close out the, the episode. Because much like the previous uh, interview I did with uh, Mark Dan Zeisen, I didn't want to take away from his his story. And at the end of that episode, I kind of addressed, and you're kind of up to date what's been going on with online Guns N' Roses copyright as the world turns soap opera. That's been kind of been going on. So I've been very wary about posting things. I think we, we all should regardless because uh, that's just the way the world works now. Uh, so what's been... I want to just kind of address the listeners and what's been happening since then. Uh, one, I got to thank Mark Danzeisen again because he was such a cool. It was so cool um, with all the the fall that's happened with all the copyright stuff. Thankfully, I was still getting great messages about Mark, and hopefully to get him on again soon. But if you didn't listen to the last episode, maybe you saw it in uh, an Alternative Nation article. You know, thanks to them for always putting out our uh, my podcast out there, and they even put out a podcast with. Um, I'll, I'll say my friends at GNR Central. I, I, I finally the crossover episode happened. Uh, Raz, it was the Jetsons meet the the Flintstones. Yeah, the Simpsons meet Family Guy. Uh, so I was on like there. Road, Roadkill and Mighty Carmot. I don't even know that reference. Uh, some people will get it. It's two car shows on the internet, and they're like some guy. The Mighty Carmots are like these cool dudes from Australia, and then Roadkill does like a, and they're in California, and it's like a Motor Trend. Uh, they do videos on the motor trend channel oh okay they did a, a mashup episode last year which is great all right i mean your so analogy makes makes sense but i i like mine better <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. you bust we'll my chops decide yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right <laughs> uh so at the end of that episode i had addressed you know a couple of people who are involved in in if this is i mean i get new listeners a lot so if this is your first afd show short story uh, there have been a lot of fan sites that have been taken down, specifically YouTube. There have been some SoundCloud, all pertaining to copyright strikes. Now, with Mar what Marcel sent me, in addition to the demo, even on the, the picture that Slash drew, 
it says at the bottom copyright, you know, the little copyright logo slash. So that's always going to be a thing. However, when there are others who get like third parties that get involved to force agendas, that's when it becomes a problem. So it's affected a lot of people across the GNR um, fan base landscape. You can read a great open letter to uh, GNR management, uh, the band on mygnrforum.com, written by, uh, by our friend uh, Russ TCB. Uh, I believe management is aware of what's going on. Finally, um, it was also recent, and I said this at the end, at the end of the last episode. You know, follow us on Facebook and Twitter because there's a lot of crazy shit that's been going on. So even though you left, this is what you missed, Raz, by not being on Twitter. Dell James he responded to what I believe, and it was discussed on that GNR Central podcast that he spoke too soon where he just assumed this was a copyright issue. People are just posting copyrighted material and get it, it getting it taken down. That was never the problem. That's you know, if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with laws. The problem was that our the fans are getting attacked and having the pages shut down when it's not copyrighted material, when it's their own fan videos with their own graphics. You know, it's it just got out of control. I literally got a message the other day from somebody from Peru from Peru had a YouTube page with 20,000 uh, followers and telling me about certain people that would, you know, th I upset this person and then this person decided to give me copyright strikes. So what we've been doing, and I know you do a lot of video editing, is br A, bringing attention to the copyright issue as a whole. Maybe YouTube and iTunes, some of these places have just a really shitty copyright uh, steps to go through where they don't even look into it. They're just getting it from a third party of reporting and they can shut it down until you file a report. Also bringing light to, to light some of the uh, the people who have taken part of this, uh, who the GNR universe is aware of, who I've... Uh, uh, what's, what's the phrase I want to say? I've just... fun I, I, In a fun way, I've, I've nicknamed uh, Bagel Boy and uh, Made Up Man. I told you the explanations off oh, the air, yeah, as, yeah. Uh, who are continuing, because I know you, you had some involvement, not directly, but to promote your, your book and to answer fan questions, you were involved in what I call uh, the, the truth cult. And I know you had your issues, and you could talk about whatever you want to after I'm just kind of setting this up. Uh, and nothing has stopped... You know, maybe the copyright has slowed down a little bit now that we've brought attention to it. Uh, there, and I will just address because several fans have brought it to my attention. Uh, the memes directed at me continue, uh, and I'm just at a point where I'm laughing because there are just some people that you just, no matter what you say, they are who they are. Uh, and I and I appreciate the the free press because people who actually listen to this show and who I interview, like uh, you, Raz, you, Mars. That's why I have a relationship with you now know what I'm about. So there's really, you know, my reputation speaks for itself regardless of what certain people try to do. So it's just been interesting, and that's what I – I think that might have been the first thing I said to you when we spoke on the phone today, Raz. I'm glad you're not on the internet <laughs> anymore, other than your website, of course, RazQ.com. But as far as, like, social media shit, because the last few months of GNR stuff has just been a fucking cesspool of crap. I mean, there's been cesspool, but thankfully, it's. I think it's in the broader sense, in the, in the more positive sense, it's brought a lot of people together who've been uh, affected by 
some of these rogue fans that it's brought some of the community together. So uh, there's certain things I, I can't say on the air. I, I do believe there will be some sort of resolution to this. And I've said uh, publicly that no matter what the resolution is, even if I don't like it, I guess I think a lot of people just want an answer. Like, why is my stuff being shut down? Uh, you know, is it the band? Is it these people? Is it a combination? Just give me an answer. Too many people from too many different parts of the world have been affected. And I, I'm lucky that I've been able to kind of put this, a spotlight on it. And I appreciate everybody who's been able to, to reach out to me uh, concerning that. So um, I will just talk about, I know I've had certain people reach out to wanting to be guests. Maybe we, we will go more into the, the hoarding community. Uh, maybe we will do future episodes about that because there was a re re uh, really, really well received. But I'm not going to go off unless it's called for another tangent, you know, unless another threat is made to someone's family. I don't feel need to. Well, if that happens, I'm going to the cops. I told you that story off the air. Uh, but other than that, just you can the uh, cult. You can please talk it about. Please talk about me more. It's just giving me more attention. So <laughs> do what you got to do, and uh, I'm going to do what I got to do. So it's great. So uh, with all that said, Rez, I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? Because I know we— we've... Do you ever repost the memes? I like, did. That's what upset them the first time, and that was the catalyst it's to— It's funny when you rub people's nose, and like when you find it funny, it makes them matter. That's what happens. So that that's like, how— why am, I, am I a joke to you? Do I, what, what makes you laugh? What makes me so funny? <laughs> that was the catalyst when I said, where did this meme come from? When I had didn't speak publicly uh, negative, I didn't speak negative about this site at all. And then I just get this well, negative meme. I don't have a problem with people being petty because I've been kind of petty. I'm not saying you're petty. I'm saying the other side being petty, calling on copyright strikes. But I think what I have a problem with is the arbiter, like the third party, let's say like YouTube or Facebook or whatever, mm -hmm. they usually take the loudest vo first voices side and then you have to prove your innocence later. And that's what I have a whole issue with. Like I'm a big First Amendment and Second Amendment guy. And mm -hmm. it's like, you have a right to say what you have to say. Sure. And, and it's easy to discern if something's copyrighted. If you've created your own content, satire or commentary, it's legally protected under the First Amendment. So these companies really don't have a right to make you prove that you have that right. You you you're you're in you have that right inherently by being here and creating here in this country, United States of America. You know, so right. it's odd. I know. It's it's odd that they would take like some little fucking whiny bitches fucking uh, <laughs> like you know the whiner the whiners get like all the all the the credit for you know because they strike first and then you have to react afterwards and. That's what's been happening, and there is a lot of people like, whoa, like, where did this come from? And there's, you know, a trail of evidence. This isn't just, you know, these aren't lies. These aren't made-up stories. You didn't have to prove it. The people that complain. But then it, then it's just, like, so blind, when, like, trying to get your stuff back or reinstated or fix something. You end, like, a faceless, like, bureaucracy and, like, get form letters and— and I know it's like difficult. Violated terms of service with no specific what you violated or who is accusing you or the credibility of the person accusing you. Right. So, uh, if anything, you know, maybe the, the system has to change more than just a GNR issue. This is a a copyright issue it's because it's systematic, dude. It's systematic. It's not just GNR. You're just noticing it because that's your focus on on this stuff. But yeah, it's all over. Well, I, I mean, yes, I know it's all over. But the GNR <laughs> stuff was uh, was fast and heavy. And quick. Yeah, no, yeah. So it, and they just take people's whole channels down and take close people's whole pages for like, and you know, 
that's the thing. Like when I was on Facebook, I spent a year creating content for them, you know. And then w- once I went out, it's like, man, I advertised my website the whole time. It's just weird. Like you leave and like people don't even know. Like your stuff's just gone. Like I couldn't just migrate it. I should have just built all that stuff on my website. And like you know, so if I had a thousand people on Facebook following me, maybe I would have got a hundred fifty on my actual web page. And it would have been less, but they would have been there just for me, not because they're Facebook, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be owned by the company, you know. Yeah, no, I, and I get it, and that's why you know I'm aware of the different platforms that I'm on, and the copyright stuff hasn't affected me too much personally, other than what was admitted to be just a, a personal uh, thing on their end. But with iTunes, like if there's just like a six second clip of one episode, they just really fuck with your entire show being available. So that's how it affected me. But then again, you know, friends of ours like uh Gibbo's out of Australia, which had a great uh YouTube channel, uh slasher videos, which I think Gene R themselves used to retweet and share. Uh our, our friend uh Franz and Roses, uh you know, from and just like a lot of different people have really investigated this and put in the time. So again, it's not just me in my view. I'm I'm hearing so many different stories, collaborating, corroborating stories. So, you know, someone like you who works on your website and so much time, you know, and that was the last time we, you know, one of the last times we spoke on the phone. You're so focused on video editing and all the hard work that you put in on the the 1985 Guns N' Roses uh, video. You put pictures up, so much time and effort, and then just to have that wiped away with little to no explanation. That's what hurts me a little bit because I know how many hours I put into this podcast. I mean, exactly, yeah. And then one after another, and then you have what seventy-seven episodes right now. Can you imagine if somebody just arbitrarily took that? You're on multi-platform, so you don't have to worry about that. But no, and I have them all saved, but you know, yeah, I, I'm multi-platform. Still, sure. Can you imagine uploading seventy-seven shows? <laughs> and, the, and my numbers wouldn't yeah. be there. You know, numbers wouldn't yeah, yeah. be there, and, and it's just yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, you would like disappear in that as that corner of the internet. Or that that distribution channel, yeah. And again, if it was a copyright thing, if I was selling stolen material, yeah, then fuck me. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening with these other places. Maybe they had some episodes that, or sh- or they 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 put up a a full like GNR odd, show that was maybe that's... copyrighted, but they didn't know. You know, they, uh, all of them say like, "Hey, let me know, and I'll happily take it down." I don't think anybody. I, I, I just want to say like some people that might think conspiracy wise that GNR is behind like stuff going down. I don't think so, because, you know, like you said, my my uh, video that I did with the original, the first uh, radio interview they did when Tracy Guns was still in the band, mm-hmm. and Robbie Gardner, so that's got like 10,000 views, and no, nobody's even like cro- crossed their eye or batted a T from the GNR camp. Here's so a big thing. If they were going to have a problem with copyright stuff, then they wouldn't they wouldn't want anything. They'd be getting everybody. You Exactly. They'd be getting everybody. You know, you have a lot of stuff for us that I think is is valuable. So if they really had a money thing, like, hey, I want to own everything, they could have attacked you. Exactly. And I'm I, worried. I peep. I, I've never heard any, like, blowback, pushback, or anything, like, crossword from anybody. In a, it's like, because I think it's because, like, I'm not monetizing it. And you're not monetizing The other people that get this stuff taken down aren't doing it for, for profit. They're doing it for love. So those people, they don't, GNR doesn't attack those people. They get the people that are trying to fucking make a dime off of their their sweat and their their legacy. Keep an eye out because uh, unfortunately the cult has demonized me, and if you are on this show, I'm wondering if they're going to attack uh, you because this is for real that there are some people that are afraid to talk, and I'm not talking like 
Nah, I'll get him back, dude. I got you know what they want to fucking go to war with me. I don't know. <laughs> That's why I love you, Raz. Just leave, leave, leave sleeping dogs lie, man. You, you want to be mellow with me? I'm cool. And. I, that's something else too, man. It's just like some one of these people, like allegedly. I'm not threatening GNR. I'm threatening the. the... Oh, I know it. Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, no... I didn't want to make that misunderstood. Yeah, if GNR wants me to take this shit down, we'll talk. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey Dell, sorry Dell or or whatever the the manager's guy name is. Oh uh, Fernando. Fernando, sorry Fernando or Dell. Like I would like to see an official statement be made at some point, but I think there needs to be an invest investigation. Uh, that I, happens. I I, that's all I can say. Somebody's ghosting the guys that are getting blamed too. Like that's what makes me wonder. Like, man, because I'm just saying the people that you say I, I, I may not think that they're the most accurate people that you're out there, or, or you know, like credible or whatever. But I, I never had any interaction with them where they did anything malicious to me or were nothing more than supportive and and helpful. So I want to say that. So maybe somebody's ghosting them. I, I'm not aware enough of the issue to know if that's happening but chances are you know you're probably right it's probably them hey i, and, I don't i don't know what's going and on and i put it out there several times and you know this will be the last time i i say it unless for some reason i need to is that i've reached out privately on more than one occasion to resolve either met with silence or anger so i mean there's nothing else okay. i can do and if you don't like me putting a spotlight on what you're doing stop doing it i'm not doing okay. anything wrong like, uh, I just ignore I, you, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, there's there's enough space in in the community for. Of course, there is, and people and busters. No, of course there is, and that's why. It, and I didn't go into it because at this point it's just uh, water under bridge. Where I there was a misunderstanding between GNR Central and I, you know, moons ago. But you know, we kind of kept in, t- in contact. We, you know, I'll credit Jeff for really greasing that wheel and always killing me with kindness, and I was diplomatic about it i kind of just kept them at a distance because i didn't know certain things uh but then of course if you saw the their last episode or maybe two episodes ago i, don't, I forget when they put it out as opposed to their <clears throat> their interview with anthony boza uh whatever uh that everything is fine so things could be worked out because at the end of the day this is just a band and it's just to take it to a certain what? level to no evolve. <laughs> no, I, I didn't hear what you said I said no way. There's oh yeah, band. yeah. And I know no way. Oh, There's the band. Sacrilege, man. I know. That's what it's. It's crazy. And same thing with like with Uraz or with Marcel. It's like yeah, you know what? The, this Guns and Roses, a po- this podcast uh, revolves around Guns and Roses. But my life, your life, her life, Alan Niven has said it. That doesn't revolve around Guns and Roses. That's a part of your life that you enjoy, and that's it. But it's when you take it to a certain level, and whether there are. Uh, legal strikes made or there are personal threats made, that's like, what are you doing? So, you know, I've tried to be as diplomatic and nice as possible, but I'm not going to be a pushover when there have been years of abuse and and similar stories that I've been experiencing for years. And I guess I'm, while I'm using this creative outlet, however long I do this podcast for, what else am I going to do? In addition to interviewing cool people like Raz Q and Marcel, I'm going to talk about what's going on in the Guns N' Roses community, and this is what's going on right now. So, uh, if you again, if you don't know the the full story of what I'm talking about, listen to the Copyright Dem- uh, Democracy episode, uh, listen to the Leakers Revenge episode. I know uh, GNR Central again. Uh, aside from the the my appearance on there, they de- did a nice little uh, short, you know, update video about it. So check it out. Keep yourself informed what's going on in the community because it's really. 
uh, a lot of people feel like they're just exhausted. They're like, I, I don't even want to like this band anymore. It's not even like it's the band's fault directly. Some things I wish they had a, a better customer service and maybe pulse of what the fan base wants in, 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 as far as a fault. Maybe that's part of it, but I don't think it's a malicious intent of a fault. I just don't think they're aware of it, and I think now is fucking finally to make them aware of what the hell's been going on in the online community for all these years and to put the, finally put an end to it because it's just – I think all of us just want to enjoy the band and, and all the, the cool stuff you know, and hear these cool Marcel stories and these Raz stories. At the end of the day, that's what's important. That's the truth. That's the truth. These, uh, I think uh, right? what, it, what everybody should do is just, like, you know, put Appetite for Destruction on a CD player and at simultaneously take a three-pound sledge and just beat the fuck out of their computer. <laughs> that could work. You know, having your nice little office space moment. Yeah. I, I, exactly. Yeah, so that that's all I just kind of wanted to, you know, kinda, I, I left a little bit of a cliffhanger for my, my last episode, and I know I've been, you know— Pretty active talking about it on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show, Twitter at the AFD show. Um, and yeah, as we're wrapping up, Raz, uh, is there anything else you, you want to say? Because you have no place other than RazQ.com right now to to ask you questions yeah. and to order your book now, right? Yeah, you no, know, my book's at Amazon and all the yeah. booksellers and the okay. ebooks only on Amazon. And then, yeah, RazQ, R A Z C U E.com. And, uh, yeah, my email address is, like, right there on the top. Like, I'm really accessible. You send me an email, I'll probably get back to you, like, you know, minutes to hours. Nice. And uh, if it's during the, like, regular day or whatever. Well, I like That's texting you. I feel cool. Little... Yeah, texting me. Don't text me if I don't if you don't have my number. <laughs> None of that. No, I, I don't give out people's phone numbers. I don't I'm do that. I'm just saying all these people out there, if you don't have my number, you don't text me. Yeah, uh, I don't get, yeah. Some people like to give out people's numbers. I don't do uh, that. Uh, so, is there anything down the pike that we can expect uh, from you? Because I know you've been you've been busy. Yeah, I'm almost ready to like you know I have to come on another month or two and tell you what the plans are, man. Because okay, I, I keep thinking I'm a week or two away from doing something, and then it just gets like two weeks later, and then I'm a week or two away from like you know. And, uh, so yeah, I got like some video projects I'm gonna start popping up on YouTube and let those be self-explanatory. And uh, that's yeah, that that's you know it's basically. Yeah, it's all, like, I'm just a perfectionist. Like, I start working on something, and I learn something else after that's done, and I'm like, oh, i got to redo that. And at some point, you just have to start, you know, just put it out there and let, let the world look at it. And then that, them tell you, no, you need to work on it a little bit. Yeah, and you can't always do a Chinese democracy. Sometimes you just got to put it out there and see what happens. Oh, come on, I'm only three months into this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that level yet. It's not tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the tool new record uh, level yet. No, I, no. I know. No, no, you're you're good. I'm glad uh, you're continuing because you have a, a great creative mind. Obviously, Marcel does. I don't know what was in the water at that time at Fairfax High School and that, that area of L.A. You know, I don't know what was in the water with the creative juices that have been flowing, not just with the rock stars, but with all the the other characters. I don't know, man. I I, I wish I was there, and I hope uh, you know, that movie. I think that if Marcel did like like that, got that made, like she's got the connections, like. If she gets a work in screenplay like a pilot or something, she can get it done. So I, I hope that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, I hope it happens, and I know many, many people, <laughs> which is uh, selling it short, that would want to see that. So yeah, uh, I think your idea, like if she incorporated that ticket thing with the high school, like like maybe just even though she was later in life, like you know a couple years later out of high school doing the tickets, it'd be cool if she put herself at the ticket place while she was in high school and did a TV show like that. That'd be good. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. So this. Uh, 
this GNR story is certainly not done by a long shot. So that's just uh, that's so cool. And right now, neither is this podcast. So like you said, uh, episode seventy-seven. I can't believe. I, it's just like it's just absolutely out of control. And I and I think officially now, uh, with our Spreaker and SoundCloud accounts, we have uh, over a hundred thousand listens now. Uh, but Spreaker, SoundCloud, of course, the iHeartRadio app. Uh, you can still find us on iTunes. Uh, we are up on Stitcher. And, um, you know, behind the scenes, I'm, I'm trying to make a YouTube channel as well. Won't be taken down because all my material is my own. But I do want to expand uh, the brand of Brando. All right, that was the Brando. Uh, yeah, the Brando brand. Brand expand the Brando. That's like a gay porn, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, got, I don't know if I've said this on this podcast, but and I did mention briefly, like, you know, the Brando thing to Marcel. And I'll end here because it's, you know, we're all learning about all like the names. She met Bill, Axel, Saul, Slash. So, yeah, I'm Brandon. But when I started radio in college, I wanted to be something cooler. And then goes Brandon Weisler. So I was Brando the Commando. I don't know. Some, oh, yeah, you tell me that. Yeah, I don't know if I said this on the air or if I said this to you off the air. But uh, for those of you who didn't hear it, it's a short whatever story. I, I, I didn't have an add-on uh, to this story. So I was Brando the Commando in college. Uh, I dropped because it was like a heavy metal hardcore show, so, and I dropped that after the Commando after college. I was just Brando on the radio up in Cape Cod, and when I was up in Poughkeepsie, I'm like, you know what? Do I want to be Brando still? Because people started calling me that off the air, and even to this day, honestly, it kind of bothers me a little bit. If you call me Brando, whether it's you or the people online that message me, it's fine. It's just I just don't have that ego personality. I'm not Axel. I'm not Cher. It's just weird to me to be called a nickname. So uh, I'm like, you know what? I wanted to still be called Brandon but have a cool name. So I'm like, you know what? It just came to me. Brandon Irons. Like you're Brandon and Iron? Like branding and Iron? Uh, so you right. got to wear a ball, though. <laughs> right? So I'm like, I could still be called Brandon, but I would have a cool name. So I'm like, let's type it in. Let's see who's had this name before. Oh, there's been a Brandon Irons before. Uh, he was Canadian. That's okay. Love the Canadians. Love uh, Todd Kearns and Mitch LaFon. You know, you know Chris Jericho. Love Canadians. Uh, he was gay, uh, which is fine. I have no problem. Uh, what your sexual orientation is, uh, but he was also a porn star. So I think okay. just the, the 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 trifecta of naming myself after a gay Canadian okay. porn star, I think that was too much. So I stuck with Brando. Wait. That's a negative for you? <laughs> I don't uh, know. I thought you were going with, like, just call me Brandon Irons now. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm sticking with Brando. I just didn't uh, want people to Google Brandon Irons and be like, uh, is this... You know, what, you know what my porn name would be? What's that? Philip Box. <laughs> Raz Q was enough for her. I know, I know. Yeah. That's a good porn name. That'll make the girls fun. Oh, Raz. So, you know, whether it's coming back on when you finish your project or or if not, if you want to come back sooner because you have just been so awesome bringing these guests to me. And I'm, you know, again, uh, I'm just grateful. We got to get and, uh, Vinny, Vinny Stiletto on your show, man. What's that? We got to get Vinny Stiletto on your show. Yeah, he's commented on my shit. Like, who is, is he? Vinny, oh man, he's just like he's been around forever too. Like he's a singer, and like like I think he was in a band called Rio, and then he just jammed and some stuff, you know. Like never had anything that stayed together like a long time. But what's like, his gene tie? He just man, he knows all them dudes. Like he's probably got stories. He what was the one you asked Marcel how Sla or how Axel and Slash met? I bet Vinny knows that one. Okay, 
like he worked at Music Plus. He was a curry. He was like a little bit older than us, like maybe even older than like Izzy, maybe a year older than Izzy or two years older. So he was kind of like he he came out to L.A. from New York in like 1980 or whatever, and just big rock fan like Alice Cooper and. Uh, you know the kiss. All, all right. That, that, so that. maybe that'll be oh. a, a future episode of the AFD show. I don't know. And just like oh, I, I put it out there uh, to you. Plus, uh, he's got character, man. Yeah, no, there are plenty of characters. Whether it's yeah. your friend Vinny, whether it's Marcel, whether it's you, uh, and I'll say to you know emphasize you as I talk to the listener. Uh, if you want to come on, share your story. If you feel like you know what I, I'm friends with so and so, and it's has that six degrees of GNR bacon, and you want to be a co-host and help me interview somebody, be my producer for the day. This is our show. I just, I don't know. I'm the, I don't want to say I'm the Axl Rose of it because I have the name on it or whatever, but I'm less controlling. I will show up on time. <laughs> I know that's not an issue anymore before any sort of a truth cult attacks me. I know, I know. Sorry. But you know what, though? If, if, if the truth cult listens this far, man, that's pretty good. They do listen. <laughs> it'll be fine as I, as I ended the, the last episode uh, with follow us on Facebook and Twitter because the story continues even after this podcast ends so uh, yeah I gave out all the, the outlets that you can follow us on uh, hit me up Facebook and Twitter uh, RazQ obviously you're always welcome back and as far as well when the next episode of the AFD show is going to be in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy I don't know if soon is the word but you'll see it. No! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>